but they changed the specs oh. because they hate us. Adam Curry, John C. Devorah. It's Thursday, April 14th, 2022. This is your award-winning Kimmo Nation Media Assassination, episode 1442. This is No Agenda. That's right, it's Thursday all over again. And broadcasting live from the heart of the Texas Hill Country here in FEMA region number six in the morning, everybody. I'm Adam Curry. And from northern Silicon Valley, where we now have positive proof that Adam's OCD. I'm John C. Dvorak. It's Crackpot and Buzzkill in the morning. Okay, let's start off by insulting your co-host. <laughs> I don't think it's a bad well, thing. Well, what do you mean you have proof I have OCD? You still, you're still obsessing. <laughs> Like like you would because you have Tourette's. That's really what it really is. It's not OCD Boom, at all, he doubles down. He, he doubles down on the ad hominem. No, I'm pulling back on the OCD. <laughs> this is a function of Tourette's, and it's been documented, and you always deny it. But there you go. You you made the mistake. You what? made a, a little mistake last uh, Sunday oh, by calling oh. the show Thursday. <laughs> and you have been – and you said something earlier. I listened to this, you and Darren or something, and you were – moaning about it you are you are irked about this little error, error. one error in like 15 years <laughs> no and so far because no. most of the time we've caught it it's my fault for not catching it i'll take 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 that yeah because uh, i should have caught it i don't know what i was thinking and uh that's what we do and but it didn't happen and so you went through with it and uh, you're still irked about it and you will be probably continue to be such <laughs> for a month or two <laughs> you're down with ocd yeah you know me um, you got an OCD, you got an OCD, you got an OCD kind of guy. It goes a little bit f- deeper than just making a mistake. I've made this mistake so many times, and the problem is, I'm actually, when I say it's Thursday and it's Sunday, believe it or not, I'm living my life as if it's Sunday. And it's really jarring then, oh shit, it's Thursday? Because, you know, whatever's coming up tonight or tomorrow or whatever I'm doing, and, and I cannot believe that this happens to me so often. I I think, by the way, I think a lot of it has to do with the offset nature of the shows. Off. There's three days between one show and four days between another, mm. and it and it upsets everybody's schedule. Not just you, and me. Mimi's ups- always upset. Oh, <laughs> oh, I gotta do it. I, oh, I gotta do the meetups. Oh, I forgot about doing the meetups. <laughs> she does the meetups, and Jay's supposed to do certain things, and she's oh. Uh, what day is it? And so I'm always being asked what day it is. Uh, it's because of the stupid nature. I mean, we did the show daily. What it really, none of this would ever happen. That's correct. But also what it really shows is our lives are just the show. There's nothing else we really do than the show. It's the show and our lives evolve around the show. Well, now you're making me depressed. <laughs> And uh, we appreciate that because of our value for value model. We're allowed and enabled to do that, which yeah. is which is why it wa- is. It's pretty, but it is funny to watch uh, the uh, little uh, idiosyncratic aspects of the fine tuned, you know, Thursday Sunday yeah. thing. Yeah, fine tuned. It's a well oiled fine tuned yeah, machine. Got this I tell going you. On you. Oh, I know. Once a while, all the things I have to remember is just a simple day of the week, and I can't do it. Uh, and and you know, talk about me being OCD. Something happened to you OCD, yesterday. No, Something happened to you be. yesterday. Oh, what? Well, I don't know. You're going to tell us because you're overclipped. You sent me. Oh, you uh, sent me two batches of clips now, and for for the for the newbies, 
John has no idea what clips I have. I have no idea what clips he has. I see the titles when they come in, uh, which I I have to do to put a kind of a mental map in my brain as to, okay, here's how the show is going to flow. Uh, but I don't listen to them. And I'm looking at this. you got like 30 clips. That is more than your allotment. I had to stop for a second and tell you that the Zephyr went by. It has uh, been a while since we've had a Zephyr report. Please do inform us of the Zephyr. Okay, we had the normal car, car count of eight. But instead of the two normal engines, we had four. Four? And Two of the engines were painted in some celebratory manner. They were dark blue, gorgeous engines, like they're going to some event. Huh. So they had two, the two normal engines, then two, <laughs> these super painted up killer engines. that just like, wow. And then the rest of the train was just the train. Well, what do you think this means for the economy? <laughs> It means we're something's going to happen. Good. It looks it's like a the, celebration. They're going to. That's right. We're celebrating eight point five percent inflation. Everybody, that's fantastic. That is your Zephyr report. Alert everybody over at CNBC at Squawk Box Bitcoin hanging on for dear life at forty thousand. Oh my God! Woo! Listen to that horn. There is some question from the troll room. If you are talking about engines or engines. Uh, I call them engines. Engines. They were typing that. I'm like, it does sound like engines. Indians. Engines. So anyway, I'm sorry that I interrupted because you were on a roll. No, well, no, I I I was was tossing to you by saying you're overclipped. You have more than your allotment, which is your cue to say, why, yes, Adam. And I'd like to start with this one. And why, yes, Adam. (laughs) And I'd like to start by let's get get this out of the way. This is the uh, New York had a... uh, Shooting in the subway. Everybody's, ooh, a shooting in the subway. After a guy let off a gas bomb. It's <laughs> crazy story. It's almost like a dog in the stroller. You can, the shooting in the subway and the dog in the stroller. It's a, just a crazy story that just kind of emerged from New York. And they, I guess they finally captured the guy, supposedly the guy. But then the story gets even hinkier when they, uh, when they discuss cat, capturing me. And the funny thing is there's going to be an element in this first clip. Where is these clips? Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, you're overclipped. You're overclipped. This is your, this is the problem. Have, they have the wrong list. This is what happens. Uh, I have subway number one intro number clip one, NPR. The number one, number one clip. That's uh, and then the two follow ups, and and then I'll explain what the follow ups are. Authorities have taken into custody the man accused in the shooting of 10 people aboard a Brooklyn subway yesterday. At a press briefing today, the U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of New York announcing that authorities are charging 62-year-old Frank R. James with a federal terrorism offense. James was taken into custody in Manhattan's East Village neighborhood after reportedly calling a tip line himself. <laughs> James is accused of firing 33 rounds. <laughs> board the crowded subway car. All the victims are expected to survive. There's no indication James had any ties to any terror groups, but the charge applies to violent attacks on mass transit systems. Oh, oh wait a minute. It, you didn't have the camera glitch in there. That's what we needed. Well, the camera glitch isn't even mentioned in the other report, which is the longer version uh, from that came later on NPR. And they kept the 33 shots in there, which I, I still think is what, who, who, does somebody count the shell casings or what? Yes, yes, to? yes. Listen, according to police, after he put on the gas mask and he threw these smoke grenades, the suspect Rachel. then started shooting. 
fired a Glock 17 9mm semi-automatic handgun at least 33 times. They say 33 times because 33 discharged shell cases were found at the scene, along with a 9mm pistol that appears to have jammed and a number of high-capacity magazines, including one that was inserted into the gun when they found it. Oh, wow. I love how she says 33 three times in a row. And we do know that 33 possibly can mean abort mission, abort mission. It can mean a lot. We don't really we know. We don't really know, but we have but heard I abort mission. I will say this. In the second version, which is more detailed on NPR, uh, they mentioned the 33. They don't do it as much as Rachel. Rachel did. <laughs> and uh, But they leave out the part where he called the tip line himself. <laughs> that was not somebody said no 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 <clears throat> so if he called the tip line just leave it out of the story and so the longer version of the story actually leaves out that detail and rachel didn't mention it either hmm. uh which is like oh well, we shouldn't maybe shouldn't have said anything about that this <laughs> is as if the guy calls in the tip line himself give me a break well so let's listen to the longer exposition here about what supposedly happened i heard this from a few people on the subway this morning but you know a lot of people i spoke to also told me they don't think the answer is more police they pointed out that nypd has already increased police presence in the subways before this latest shooting happened eli garcia was heading to work and he told me he wasn't nervous he just felt that this was what, an anomaly what is this you're and, and i asked this is the subway shoot the long uh, long form is not what what you wanted separate shooting long form with message about 30 hours after a mass shooting in the new york city subway mayor eric adams had this to say my fellow new yorkers we got it (laughs) is this from his deathbed uh of covid (laughs) is he is he (laughs) in his bed talking we got him we got him the suspect frank james is accused of firing 33 times on a subway train during rush hour yesterday morning. No one died, but 10 people were shot and several others were hurt in the incident. NPR's Jasmine Garst joins us now from New York. Hi, Jasmine. Hi. All right, Hi. so what more can you tell hey. us about this arrest? No. What was that all about? Hi. Remember last I night? Know, it's like they're like at a gay <laughs> like bar. Like lovers. <laughs> they have this thing going on at NPR where they do that. It's like, it, you think they're at some bar. Hi, hi. Oh, I think you and I should do it. Hi, John. Hi. 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 Ten people were shot. Hi. Hi. Shot, and several others were hurt. It's going to be a long show if we do keep this up. In the incident. NPR's Jasmine Garst joins us now from New York. Hi, Jasmine. Hi. So what more can you tell us about this arrest? Frank James is believed to be the shooter, and he was apprehended on a Manhattan street corner just a few hours ago at around 1.45 p.m. So is it, it, this guy, if you've seen pictures of him, he's a generic looking, and I don't want to say all black people look the same. No. But this is a, a generic looking black guy. Maybe looks a little like Jay-Z if he looks like anybody. So he's a generic looking black guy on a Manhattan street corner. And calls, of course, he called the tip in himself, and he probably gave him the address where he's going to be standing. No, he, he said, I'm, I'm going to be I'm at the McDonald's is what he apparently but, said. But notwithstanding... How would they identify this guy in Manhattan? I don't know, but <laughs> keep keep playing. Others were hurt in the incident. NPR's Jasmine Garst joins us now from New York. Hey, Hi, Jasmine. Yeah. Hi. Hi. All right, so what more can you tell us about this arrest? <laughs> 
Frank James is believed to be the shooter, and he was apprehended on a Manhattan street corner just a few hours ago at around 1.45 p.m. this afternoon. Uh, he's 62 years old. He was arrested without incident. Bystander videos show police taking him into custody, and it came from a tip. Wow. Okay, so what do we know about this man so far? What we know about him so far is that he had a myriad of prior arrests from various states dating back to the early 90s. And they range from criminal sex acts to theft. Uh, he seems to have lived a very chaotic life, moving across cities and states. And he also posted quite a few videos on YouTube and Facebook criticizing New York Mayor Eric Adams and criticizing his policies on crime and homelessness. Mm-hmm. And he talked about having PTSD. Um, I'm sure in the coming days, a, a much clearer picture is going to emerge. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, at this point, what kind comes next in the investigation. Well, first off, authorities still don't know why he allegedly went on this attack yesterday. Mm-hmm. He is now facing federal charges and up to life in prison for this. Oh. So to that end, authorities made it clear this investigation remains open and they are still asking for tips on how and why James did this. Okay, well, while his motive remains unclear, you know, the shooting it occurred as New Yorkers are being asked to start commuting back to their offices, just as COVID numbers are declining. And Jasmine, I understand that you were on the subway today. Like, what was the mood on these trains? What did it feel like to be (laughs) inside? Well, this is a notoriously tough city. Almost everyone I spoke to told me they were just trying to go about their day as usual. In recent months, there have been very violent incidents on the subway, some deadly. Um, Carlos Manobanda uh, was heading to a doctor's appointment this morning, and he said he was a little bit nervous. I, I asked him, what would make you feel better right now? Uh, more police uh, activity, interaction with uh, customers and uh, presence, more presence, I think. Oh, man. Okay, now this is the. We go to the last clip. Is I'm going to end this. This little thing they slipped in. They did two things. One, you can get a lot of deconstruction information by what was omitted, and what was omitted in this report, long report, was that the tip line was called by the guy himself. Mm-hmm. How can that? Don't you think that's kind of interesting enough to put it in the report? In no. fact, if I if I were an honest journalist or even just a reporter, I would say. Something like this. Hey, John. You know what was really interesting is that this shooter called the tip line himself. We're not quite sure. The Manhattan uh, police have uh, uh, not responded yet, but uh, that is indeed a very strange twist in this case. Back to you, John. Hi, Adam. Hi. <laughs> so, um, yes, of course. So now we have a, a, an anomaly where they slip in this thing where the guy wants more cops. Oh, yeah, wait a minute. that's this, cool. Yeah, this has got to go. Uh-huh. So let's fit that way. We got to. Oh, gee, okay, okay, okay. We we didn't obviously vet this uh, report yes. well enough. Yeah, so. how do how do we how did this guy slip into our man on the street bit? So, so how do we get out of this? Let's just back it off. Let's back it off. Let's find some way to back it off. And here we continue with the same report. I 
heard this from a few people on the subway this morning. But you know, a lot of people I spoke to also told me they don't think the answer is more police. They pointed out that NYPD has already increased police presence in the subways before this latest shooting happened. Uh-huh. Eli Garcia was heading to work, and he told me he wasn't nervous. He just felt that this was an anomaly. And and I asked him what should be done to avoid these types of violent outbursts. Fund services that will help to people that need the help, like homeless services, mental health, are a great start. And this is kind of at the heart of the debate here in New York City, and and I think in cities across the U.S., we're seeing gun violence rise. And and the question is, is the solution more police, better mental health and homeless services, all of the above? It's hard to say. Yeah. Well, I know that there was some criticism of how long it took to find this suspect. What do you make of that criticism? Was it fair? Well, you know, uh, this has to do with the fact that at least one of the cameras at the station where the shooting happened weren't working. And people I spoke to today did express that. Uh, we pay taxes. We pay the transit system. Why don't we get the basics? <laughs> that is NPR New York correspondent Jasmine Garst. Thank you so much, Jasmine. Thank you. People think it's all so it just works. You know, you just put some money in here and then guys in uniforms go out and everything's safe. Why don't we get the basics? <laughs> Jeez, anyway, that's that's all I got. I do want to intersperse into this uh, something we've been tracking, and we will continue to track with over 250 felonies in a week. New York City subway in the 1970s was the most dangerous place on earth. <laughs> I am, and you know, now also the graffiti, or as you would say, graffiti, is uh, on subway cars is back. Producer sent me some beautiful pictures today. And it's, the, and it's the big tags all across the side. That was also 70s. Well, those aren't tags. You don't call... Oh, okay. You're going to get technical. Please, tell me what you call that in graffiti language. There's three things you have. You have a tag where somebody just just makes it, you know, just, just puts his initials on stuff and he makes a mess and he puts it over and over and over again all over the place. Those are tags. Those are those tags. Are taggers. Okay. They're they're low and graffiti guys. The, uh, the yeah, and now you're an expert on graffiti. This is why you say graffiti because that proves that you're an expert in. And it doesn't prove anything. <laughs> and then the next thing is called a toss up, where you just where it's kind of like an outline of some design you're going to do and you never really finish it or you're practicing. And then there's the burners, which is the ones that you're talking about, which uh-huh. are big finished pieces. Yes, burners. Okay. And they tend to be all over the place. And the graffiti guys are called writers. Got uh, it. And they're and they they're the big burners are the ones that are the fancy looking ones that you go ooh that's pretty <laughs> and some guys are really good at it yeah. and they and they're they're like given free reign in everywhere including in the other other gangs areas uh, they're just in fact I have a uh, a jack a jacket that one of these guys did for me this is Dvorak on the back and he says you can go to Hell's Kitchen in the worst of times and you can walk right through and as long as you're wearing that jacket. Yeah. Cool. It's like a gypsy ring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that. Very cool. Well, a- anyway, uh, they look just like the uh, the subway cars from the from the 70s, from what I remember, pictures, and also just well, looking at the Well, the subway cars stuff. from the 70s were the, it, I remember those, 
they were the ugliest things in the world. And they and then some of these idiots had these diamond little cutters and they would scratch the windows. Yeah. They'd do, yeah. They'd do a signature on the windows. The mm-hmm. windows were all scratched up with diamonds. You know, you can't you just make, you have to replace the windows. It, the whole, it was a nightmare. New so, York is, is, every time I hear about these things going on in New York, I, it's it's a horrible place. Can I remember, remind you of something else that happened in the new, and then we'll get back to this subway thing because I have a few clips. You know what else happened in the 1970s in New York? It was a big event. 1976 to be exact. A uh, 77. Big event. Event of, yeah, it was the convention of the squeegee men. It was the uh, the big blackout. Oh, right. The blackout and all the, and all the babies. Yes. Where were <laughs> you when the nights went out in New York City? Mm-hmm. That was a big event. Oh, that can happen again. Yes, this is what Not I'm talking about. It. Of no course, mentioned. Says no one else has mentioned it. You mentioned it. It can happen again. Yeah, and and I'll and I'll I have some uh, uh, some hacking news later to uh, to show you that it it could actually happen. <laughs> but first, let's go back to this New York subway shooting because immediately there's a lot of things that uh, that were wrong with this. And I was in the car on the way to Austin, so I would just listen. I was just switching between. I have a Sirius XM, so I'm listening to CNN, MSNBC, um, and uh, and Fox, but mainly CNN, kind of. It feels like they, they had more, better on-the-scene reports. And uh, <clears throat> what happened almost immediately was the FBI was on the scene. We're always looking for the FBI. If you have not heard the show before, we have, uh, with, with, uh, circumstantial evidence have uh, have come up with a theory that there's a six-week cycle and the fbi used to really be quite stringent they would hold on to it every six weeks that have some kind of event typically a terrorist and it would be some schlub that they had been working for six months or a year had jacked them all up they give the guy a phony remote control tell him where to go rent the van put some sacks of flour in the back and then go arrest the guy as he presses the phony button and then and they're heroes again yeah and it's always very, in the very, affidavit. It's always right there. They should, you know, it's all oh, confidential informants, and it's 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 really yeah. sad because these are typically very low Dumb like, guys. Yes. Are so stupid. And if you look at this guy, this Frank James, always interesting to have. And by the way, no middle name. This is uh, this is wrong. And this, uh, if it were a six week cycle, the perpetrator would be a terrorist, a white terrorist, white nationalist. Uh, would of course have three yeah, names. Seems to be off. Would have written it. a manifesto. Now this guy didn't have a manifesto, but he had tons of YouTube videos, very racial, particularly about Katanji Brown Jackson, that she was married to a white guy, and this was this outraged him. So the FBI is on the scene, and right away, right away, uh, and because I was listening to it live, couldn't clip it. Uh, this is not, a, this is no terrorism. FBI says it's not terrorism. Just so you know, it's not terrorism. It's not terrorism. And I thought that was the FBI saying that. So immediately my conspiratorial mind goes to, all right, this guy, they've been working him because of course he was known prior to law enforcement and the FBI uh, as recent as 2019. Like they were jacking this guy up. He might, he's probably supposed to do something, but he popped off early. They had no control over him. Yeah, because the guy's a nut. He's nuts. Yeah. And in fact, that's probably why he called it in himself. Yes. Hey, I'm here. I'm here. Come pick me up. No, he's like, hey, uh, I did did it. What you asked me to do, come pick me up. I'd love to hear that audio tape. 
But there's some things that came back that just reminded me of, of a typical six-week cycle. What are the tools at their disposal to conduct this manhunt kind of behind the scenes, if you will? Well, listen, I mean, I think one of the greatest tools that uh, investigators have right now are, are is the people of New York. Right? And I think that Commissioner Ramsey and Commissioner Bratton both had you know, stated earlier uh, in the previous segment, you see something, say something. If you see something, say something. There you go. Been waiting to play that jingle for a while. See something, say something is back in play. Very nice. We appreciate that. Uh, and then this classic. It's about to happen. Investigators describe James as a lone wolf who posted hours of racist violence. <laughs> there it is. Who posted hours of racist, violent rants on YouTube, including ones against the mayor. I talk about I talk about Well, during their investigation, which is ongoing, authorities say they searched a storage unit in Philadelphia, which is registered to James, finding, among other things, a silencer and ammunition for AR-15 and 9mm weapons. Uh, James faces several charges, including terrorism against a mass transit system. And if convicted, he could face up to life in prison, Nora. So I don't understand why he's going to face terrorism charges when the FBI is yelling, it's not terrorism, it's not terrorism, don't worry about it, it's not terrorism. So, yeah, you know, they're, they're, that's, just a, that's a hole in the system, they got to fix it. So if this was some kind of op, what would it be for? Well, I think it's very obvious that this would be about gun control. Um, the, the president just recently had his whole ghost guns presentation. Oh, you can 3D print ghost a gun. Guns. Yeah, ghost guns and and uh, high-capacity magazines, which were, this is, the 33 is very important here. That's why they kept hammering high, you heard Rachel, high-capacity magazine, high-capacity magazine, one what of which it? was inserted into the gun, the high-capacity magazine inserted into the gun. So there's that. Yeah, she made a point of it as though she's been scripted. The also, which I, I found interesting, even NPR wasn't that that bad. They were just, well, they were bad too, but they wasn't that bad. <laughs> yeah. The, it's like, uh, what, what was the millimeter of this gun, of this, what was it shooting? She's, was it she's, she's, she what said was it was a Glock 17, nine millimeter. Rachel said it, that. So Rachel said that, and it had a giant. Let's listen. Let's listen again. Hold on. According to police, after he put on the gas mask and he threw these smoke grenades, the suspect then started shooting. Fired a Glock 17 9 millimeter semi-automatic handgun at least 33 times. They say 33 times because 33 discharged shell cases were found at the scene, along with a 9 millimeter pistol that appears to have jammed and a number of high-capacity magazines, including one that was inserted into the gun when they found it. Ooh. So that's odd. That's very odd. And okay, she's and well, but, but what she says that if she's kind of truthful even though scripted, uh, thirty three they say thirty three because they found thirty three uh, shell casings. It could have been one hundred and thirty three, and they only found thirty three. Or it could have been no shots, but they found thirty three shells that someone threw down on the ground. You know, there's just a million ways to interpret this shit. I don't know. The thirty three is suspicious. What you else? Think? <laughs> what else could this be about? And this is the camera clip. I love this. Because if you're going to do an op, of course you're going to disable the camera. Duh. That's the first thing you do. And oh, yeah, by the way, the way you disable cameras is not like a, in the movies where you uh, put up a, uh, an image of, uh, <laughs> that you've captured previously 
and you insert that. Favorite way. Yeah, you put the you put the picture in front of the camera. It's also not spray painting the lens. No, you just cut the Wi-Fi connection. It's that simple. That's all you got to do. And how you know, and how you do that? I don't think that's hard. That shit's that should break by itself. But there's something at the end of this report that says, "Huh, maybe there was something else going on." Increased security at subway stations across the country today. After Tuesday's shooting spree revealed blind spots in the security camera surveillance systems. CBS News has learned the cameras at the subway station were operating, but the video feed to the police and transit authority was not. Metropolitan Transportation Authority CEO John Lieber said there were connectivity issues. There was apparently a server problem, which they had been working on the day before. <laughs> there were warnings. Oh, no, that's coming. Signs. A CBS News review of two years of state inspections finds New York state officials told America's largest transit agency... Its cameras were vulnerable to malfunction. Finding in 2019, the Metropolitan Transportation Authority took months to make some camera repairs. And that regular maintenance wasn't happening as scheduled more than half the time. Does it surprise you to hear that this camera in this spot may not have been working right? Uh, It does not surprise me to hear that the cameras were not working right. Retired FBI agent Mike German says the tens of thousands of cameras in U.S. transit systems require regular manpower and sophisticated maintenance. Oh, how hard can it be? Ring doorbells work. It is very common that you (laughs) cameras... Wait a minute. Sophisticated maintenance. That is a great... I'm almost borderline. Well, let me think about it, but... You're talking sophisticated <laughs> maintenance for a cam. Sophistic- it, it requires sophisticated maintenance. Hi. Irregular manpower and sophisticated maintenance. But did he say irregular manpower? No, regular. Right. Oh, the tens of thousands of cameras in U.S. transit systems require regular manpower and sophisticated maintenance. Ooh. It is very common that you know cameras either aren't working properly or even if they are working properly, aren't pointed in exactly the right direction. CBS News has learned even before the New York shootings, Congress was considering a significant increase in funding to secure rail systems. Oh, secure rail systems funding. Significant. Oh, there we go. Okay. Well, that's the basis of the whole thing. You so, got some stooge to shoot up the place, doesn't kill anybody. And then uh, you got to get more money. It's all about the money. I'm thinking where we're at now is the the Democrats who are in charge are working on another like massive omnibus bill, some big bill they want to shove a bunch of stuff into. It's uh, It may come under the, you know, Let's uh, make America secure again act or something like that, where, oh, we need to secure rail. Uh, we need to go after the high capacity magazines. We need more funding for COVID. This is this is coming back. We need more funding for COVID. We need some money. We need the, You're going to see that they're going to ratchet this up. So they want money. So maybe people are jumping on the, the bandwagon because there's money to be had. But that and I could not find anything called the Secure Rail Act. So I'm not sure exactly what they're referring to, but significant funding is interesting. And then we also get to just condition people that, hey, you know, this shit just doesn't work sometimes. And you talked about the cameras at the station where he's suspected to have gotten on the train. But the the station where this happened, the 36th Street station, there were no police officers stationed there. The cameras were not working, at least not in real time. What are they saying about that? How did that fall through the cracks? Well, it's there are 472 subway stations in New York City. The cameras work. Sometimes they don't. They say it was a computer glitch at this particular station and two others where that N train traveled on Tuesday morning that that also weren't working. Yeah, this is this is so good. 
People are just oh, it's a glitch. No, okay, shit, man, it's a glitch. I understand glitch. Sure, that's well, like don't forget, don't forget that everyone's preconditioned. They were preconditioned long before this mm-hmm. with the Jeffrey Epstein. Yep, uh, that's just a glitch. Fail. It was just a glitch. Just and a, so we have we have cameras con- coincidentally failing left and right in New York. In New York, always in New <laughs> it's York. Always in New York, and always in some situation where it would be nice if it worked. If you if you're in Times Square, you're taking pictures. You should make sure that it works because you know there's glitches in in New York. Your camera just stops working. It's bad. It's bad, people. It's very very bad. So this felt like a, a failed op to me. This is this does not feel to me like some random guy who just went nuts. And decided to do this and then gave himself up. I think you're spot on with calling the, the tip line. Like, hey, uh, I'm, I, I did it. <laughs> Come pick me up. No, you didn't do it right. I'm supposed to actually. Sh- well, I might be right about that. But I think you're right about the fact that uh, what he said was something like, you know, hey, I, I did what you wanted me to. I, well, you didn't do it on the right day. You didn't do it in the right way. You didn't do it in the right situation. You, didn't, you know, there's this and that. There was a million things you didn't do. He just went off the, the guy was unreliable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't have, I would say that the FBI, let's, let's go with our basis. The, the, the basic theory that the FBI is behind it. Mm-hmm. The FBI handlers did a shit job. Of course they did. They're embarrassed. That's why they were on the scene yelling no terrorism right away. Right away. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they got to get, find some of the old timers that used to know how to do this correctly. Back in the day. I think the old timers quit in disgust. I think the old timers, most of them quit during the Trump administration. Yeah, right. In, who, in disgust. Because that's what, yeah. Because we can't get anything thing, done. They pulled the rug out from under the uh, six-week cycle. Yeah. They got Comey in there as just a bonehead. Yeah, it was and no he good. Was, he was a politico. And so uh, they, and, and yeah, they kept all they, the cool stuff to a very small group. The Russian the Russian collusion hoax, that was only a few people. They, they didn't let the, they didn't share. Yeah. In the, well, they, they definitely need to reorg. They do need to reorg. They need to pivot. They need to pivot. <laughs> All right, we're going to pivot from uh, New York to the uh, uh, to Ukraine. I, I think we do need to talk about the ongoing war. And I want to thank the clip custodian who heard the call as we identify trends often in reporting. One of the trends is uh, the graphic images. That you're about to see. And he did a little supercut for us. This video we're about to show you is incredibly graphic. A warning tonight. The images are graphic and they are disturbing. And a warning. The images you're about to see in this report are very graphic. And I've got to warn you, what you're about to see is graphic and it is disturbing. A warning. We're <laughs> going to show you some of those scenes and they're graphic. I want to warn you, some of the images we're about to bring you are graphic and disturbing. And that a lot of these images, and we just want to warn our viewers, they're, they're particularly graphic and brutal, so I want to allow them a little time to opt out of, of, of seeing this. So if we can hold off a few seconds, guys. Once again, we want to warn all of our viewers, these images are very graphic. They are very hard to watch. Some of the following footage is graphic. It's extremely difficult to watch. But I ask you not to turn away if you can, because this is how you bear witness to the truth. <laughs> okay, Thanks. I want to give, I, just for, the, for, for, a good, for a good purpose, I want to give clip of the day to the clip custodian. Clip of the day. Wow, good one. Because he he needs it. Yeah, and and that was and we don't normally do our own super cuts. We lift them. Yep, and he may have lifted that too. No, I'm but, pretty sure he put it together. 
Well, if he put it together, that is deserving because we need to probably do have more, more of this. Those. Have more of this. Yes. And it's really hard to do, people. Be it's careful. It's off. very hard to do. You have to have an archive of everything to do it. And and you, and you have to know how to cut it and have to, how to keep it in the rhythm. But if anyone who wants to try, we welcome it. But yes, these things are very effective. And how many times have we not pulled a supercut from years ago? This oh yeah, I remember this. And luckily, CBS Evening News did did a well. It was a valiant effort. I'd, I'd say it's a B minus. You might have seen this. They did finally give us a shot of a single solitary empty child shoe. Oh, in this, I did not see in that. this I case. But see it. what they did wrong is that it's a first of all, it's, it's like a plastic uh, beach slipper. Oh. So it's it, it's it doesn't quite have that real cute childish quality no, it to, to it. Little, it has to be a little cloth shoe. A little and, yes, yeah, uh, preferably kind of, kind of, and it has to be scruffy. So with like, with laces you, still tied, because you know it's because the foot blew out of it. Um, and they photograph this from above instead of from a side angle, so you just don't quite get the depth that I was looking for. So uh, I will say, uh, good job, guys. Good job in trying. Um, one more time, I'm going to thank our producers for uh, participating in our grand value for value experiment now in its 15th year. And here's why. Uh, let's say we had gone with uh, any type of advertising uh, um, uh, monetization model through YouTube or you know other advertisements. This uh, just came in from Google <clears throat> to everybody who uses Google's advertising services. Dear publisher, this is not to me, but I was sent to me by publishers. Due to the war in Ukraine, we will pause monetization of content that exploits, dismisses, or condones the war. Please note, we have already been enforcing on claims related to the war in Ukraine when they violated existing policies. For instance, the dangerous or derogatory content policy prohibits monetizing content that incites violence or denies tragic events. This update is meant to clarify and in some cases expand our publisher guidance as it relates to this conflict. This pause includes, but is not limited to, claims that imply victims are responsible for their own tragedy or similar instances of victim blaming, such as claims that Ukraine is committing genocide or deliberately attacking its own citizens. Sincerely, the Google advertising team. (laughs) So we would have been demonetized immediately. Wouldn't you say? Demonetized fifteen years ago. There's that. (laughs) There's that minor detail. Anyway, so uh, we're still sending money uh, to Ukraine, but not really money to Ukraine. We're sending it to big corporations here in America, and they're sending over some fireworks. Well, Ukraine's military did get a boost today in a phone call with President Zelensky. President Biden pledged an additional $800 million in weapons, ammunition, and security assistance. The president also approved... Security assistance. I love security assistance. Sounds like some contractors to me, people. Ammunition and security assistance. The president also approved the transfer of helicopters to Zelensky's forces. Tonight, CBS's David Martin gives us an exclusive look at a shipment of U.S. military weapons bound for the battlefield. Hey, hold on a second. What difference is, I mean, yes, there's a difference, but when we're talking about air support, air superiority, and and we're not giving uh, fighter jets, but we're giving helicopters, they can be pretty lethal too. Is this not a uh, a true declaration of war when we're giving them our helicopters? 
What's the difference? It flies, it shoots, it's deadly. It just doesn't fly as fast. Well, uh, they talked about, I have a series of four clips with Anthony Blinken on NPR, which he seems to be a little more comfortable with. (laughs) And they talk about, Blinken says at the end of these clips, he, he goes on and on about how, well, we make, we, we have escalation meetings uh, oh. that have to do with, are, is this going to be perceived as escalation? Mm. And so they're very concerned about this. And the helicopters are at the top of the list of those escalation talks. Okay. Well, let's finish this. And then we, I, I wouldn't. Well, I, I, yeah. I, I don't actually have the, the oh, escalation. Have, oh, okay. I have the Blinken talking about all the stuff that we're going to send over there uh, in detail which is ludicrous. It's just like throwing money away. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a minute. Let's finish this uh, $800 million pledge. Hundreds of Javelin anti-tank missiles. Pallet after pallet of the weapons that are destroying Russian tanks. Loaded aboard a cargo aircraft at Dover Air Force Base in Delaware, bound for the battlefield in Ukraine. What are the hazards here? The hazards are it's a high explosive. These are Javelin missiles. Since the Russian invasion began, the U.S. has committed more than $2.5 billion worth of weapons and other military equipment to Ukraine. It arrives at Dover in unmarked trucks driven from ammunition dumps located all over the United States. These javelins came in on Monday and were scheduled to fly out this afternoon. Our goal is to be agile and to move the requirements uh, quickly so the folks on the other end do not have to wait for the material. Ukraine may not be a member of NATO, but Ukrainian officers are working directly with NATO to get weapons into the hands of their soldiers. They are in contact with senior leaders in Ukraine, to include uh, the chief of defense and the ministers of defense, and are prioritizing their requirements based on uh, usage rates and what they see on the ground. The Ukrainians may be outfighting the Russians, but they still need more firepower to counter the buildup of Russian forces in the east and to somehow stop the merciless bombardment of cities. Are you in this to win? Yes, sir. We are in it. In it to win? We are in it to win. It's the top priority. But the plane we saw loaded with javelins was delayed for 14 hours by a mechanical problem. (laughs) So the Ukrainians will have to wait for their next shipment. Okay, so a couple now, things. Yeah. Well, first of all, do do you think that this may be an inventory turn? Uh, I, oh, that, not just that, but I can't wait to see these javelins showing up in Libya, Somalia. I mean, this oh, is they're going to show up everywhere. They're going to be everywhere, but in Ukraine. This is this is yeah, being but, this but is sales. We're still, but we're still dealing with it. With it, these are coming from they said ammo dumps. They're not coming from the factory. These are not factory fresh. No, no, we 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 get rid of the old shit. Yeah, so we, we write it off. Stuff. We write yeah. it off, and so the eight hundred uh, million dollars is for new stuff. Yeah, yeah, new. But versions, it, but it's really just it's tweaked. It's probably a down payment on the new stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, they're always going to jack. <laughs> we the price need some R and D to happen. Oh yeah, now we're yeah. cynical because damn man, it's the way it goes. And, well, and, so we get rid of this stuff because it, it, it can't just leave a javelin missile sitting around an ammo dump for 10 years. I mean, you, I suppose you, you could, it. but I think these are 10, these are old gear. They got to get rid of it. It's mm. got, it's dangerous. 
Uh, you heard about the uh, security assistance, which is contractors. I have now multiple reports that Russians have taken U.S. soldiers as uh, prisoners of war in Mariupol. So we'll see. I, I have a feeling we've got our that's advisors. What? That's a, I said that's a good one. I haven't heard that. Oh, well, of course. That you, you know, you can't just give, you know, a javelin. It takes a little training for a javelin. Well, now, when I was listening to the NPR reports, they made it very specific, and it may have been in this, these clips I have, but they said they're going to, they, they talked about the well, let's, training. Let, let's, do the your, training let's do your is, clips. According to, no, those clips don't have this little piece of information. I, I, this is, I gleaned from listening to too many hours of this stuff. The training is all out of the country. According to, according to hmm. the NPR people, uh, or or who are the reporters were, and it may be even beyond NPR. All the training because you need to be trained on this on yeah. the new gear that they're. Maybe there's something Blinken mentions it, but the training has to be done out. It's done out of the country. They don't go in and train them. Well, I uh, think that the advisors, uh, they're right. You're, they're not training them. They are they are operating the machinery themselves. That's exactly how it well, went in Iraq with the and that's uh, the way it normally goes. I'm just telling you what the, what the what they're telling us. Yes, of course. Maybe and, I, <laughs> and if they're capturing our people, the Russians are capturing our people. Then they're lying to us. And I I have reason to believe that the Russians have captured some of our people. Now it has not been presented to me as U.S. military, so that's why I'm thinking contractors in military garb because that's what we do. We outsource our wars. To other countries and have uh, contractors out- do the dirty. We outsource. We outsource the the, the mess hall nowadays. Yes. They don't even. Somebody mentions you. What do you mean have- the mess hall? It, when I was in when I was in Basra, they had Burger King, Pizza. Yes, Hut. that's what I mean. Yeah. That, that, where, where it happened to the old days where you had KP, <laughs> KP you, peeling potatoes. As a soldier, you would peel <laughs> potatoes. Yeah, no that that was when it was still the draft. You see. Now, now people are going in. They, you know, they have demands. Like, hey, Google's got all this free shit at their office. Give us at least some Burger King for a healthy <laughs> for fighting a, for force health. <laughs> for the season. Okay, uh, well, let's listen to Kirby. Uh, this is on NPR. And this is Ukraine, and Kirby comes on. Now, Kirby uh, is the I, spokeshole for the Department of Defense for the Pentagon, and we yeah, we know Kirby one, well. We know Kirby. He's a Kirby's liar. Kirby's been around forever. He's a liar. Kirby likes to. He's a liar. Kirby is. Well, besides being a liar, uh, admiral liar, he uh, he he thinks he runs the place. I think so. he's a rear admiral. I don't think he's admiral. Is he admiral? Okay, he's a rear admiral. Yeah, but he can still be called admiral. Okay, or rear, or rear. Yeah, he's a rear. <laughs> hey, rear Kirby. All right, one. Yeah. Ukraine is about to get more weapons and military equipment from the U.S. President Biden delivered the news to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky this afternoon. The $800 million in new security aid comes on top of more than $2.6 billion the Biden administration has already provided. Hello. This latest offering includes artillery systems, artillery rounds, armored personnel carriers, and helicopters. It could dramatically increase Ukraine's ability to withstand the Russian onslaught in the next phase of the war. Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby joins me now to talk more about the package and what it could mean for Ukraine. Yeah, the rear admiral is going to talk about his package. Hello? Yeah, there was something he said in that this guy when his comments, I lost my train of thought on it, but uh, it was very, uh, why don't you play that whole clip over? I'm sorry. Okay. 
Ukraine is about to get more weapons and military equipment from the U.S. President Biden delivered the news to Ukrainian oh, President Oh, yeah, never Vladimir mind. Zelensky. Never. You stop it. Uh, I was just thinking, don't forget, that after the billions and billions and billions that were sent, them, England's still number one with their 150 million. million. Yes, 150 of course. million, yeah. yes, of course. number one. All right, clip two. Mr. Kirby, welcome back to All Things Considered. Thank you, Daniel. It's good to be with you today. Before we get to the new military aid... Hey, 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 someone needs to prep Kirby. This is NPR. Hi. 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 Mr. Kirby, welcome back to All Things Considered. Thank you, Daniel. It's good to be with you today. Before we get to the new military aid, let's first talk about where the war is headed. Russian forces are gathering in eastern Ukraine in the Donbass region. We are expecting a new assault. When might that happen and what might it look like? Difficult to know with great specificity exactly when uh, their their new offensive and push will occur. To some degree, elements of that have already started. They are uh, flowing in uh, fresh troops. They are flowing in uh, artillery, uh, even uh, helicopter support, as well as other uh, what we would call enablers, command and control capabilities into the Donbass region. So they are clearly doing what we call... We're deploying enablers and command and control. Does that mean we're commanding and controlling? Hmm. Not made clear. Maybe. As well as other uh, what we would call enablers, command and control capabilities into the Donbass region. So they are clearly doing what we call shaping. They're they're setting the conditions Uh for uh, eventual more more aggressive military operations. In the meantime, the forces that retreated out of Kiev and out of Cherkiv in the north are moving now to the east across Belarus and into Russia, uh, into uh, Belgorod, for instance, and Valayuki, and beginning to refit, resupply, and get themselves ready for insertion. So, again, it's difficult to know exactly when um, uh, more aggressive operations are going to be conducted, but uh, we don't believe uh, there's a whole lot of time between now and and that moment. Uh, I would say uh, perhaps weeks at the outset, but but maybe not even that long. Weeks. Okay, so let's get to the, the new weapons package. The president's statement says that the U.S. is providing, quote, new capabilities tailored to the wider assault we expect Russia to launch in eastern Ukraine. What exactly is the U.S. providing that is tailored to fighting in the east? The most demonstrative example of that uh, is the howitzers, the 18 howitzers and the 40,000 rounds of artillery. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. They can do have a party with that. 40, 40, you're right. You're right. You're right. This is the old howitzers. Let's get rid of that. And by the way, give them all these boxes of ammo. Yeah. Who needs it? <laughs> Who needs it? Let them blow it up. This is so. I'm so sad when I hear this. What, what is? How can we allow these numb nuts to do this stuff? I think you crazy. should get. The, you, you should might as well. Right, there was the opportune moment after the end of that clip is to play Fletcher's Rubble Eyes. <laughs> Rubble Eyes, yeah, right, right. Well, we have two more, so uh, I'll cue it up just <laughs> in Rubble Eyes. This is just about forty thousand rounds of ammunition for these howitzers is is going to rubbleize something. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to rubbleize. When you look at the Donbass region um, and you look at the kind of capabilities that the Russians are flowing in, they're also flowing in artillery and tanks, what we call long-range fires. Now, these are, uh, these are rounds, uh, these are rockets, um, these are shells uh, what that are they? to cause damage from a distance, but not so far away as you need for a missile strike. So um, the Donbass region is relatively flat. Not the same sort of uh, geography that you had up in the north of Ukraine, not wooded, not forested, not hilly. This guy is 
he's into military porn. Just listen to how he's all jitty yeah, I, about I, it. I, I think I even put giddy in one of these clips because he is jacked up. He's, he's like, just it's, he it, wishes he was in action. Yeah, this know, is we call this shaping, and we have command and control, and the, you know the terrain is like this. You know, we're gonna move around, and then we're gonna do a double end reach around, and it's gonna be great. <laughs> Um, and so it lends itself uh, to, to more conventional warfare like tanks and artillery. And so uh, that's what we uh, – that's why uh, we put that in that package. It's also why if you look in that package, you'll see uh, counter-artillery radar because that can be a real lifesaver for the Ukrainians since we expect the Russians to use a lot of artillery in that region. The, this counter-artillery radar will help, help them defend against those threats. Well, can we can we speak specifically about the Russian missile threat projectiles? Because so far, half of the missiles fired into Ukraine have have been mostly fired from the outside, from Russia, Belarus, the sea. Uh, speak specifically about weapon weaponry in this new package that can confront that missile threat. Well, in addition to in addition to the counter artillery radar, you'll you'll see that there is an air defense radar, a portable towed from a vehicle uh, air defense radar system, several of them, as a matter of fact. Uh, and that will also help the Ukrainians uh, defend against airstrikes uh, in the Donbass. Now, I will add that the Ukrainians already have uh, long-range air defense at their capability. They have short-range air defense um, uh, as well. So this will add to their ability uh, to, to, uh, to deal with the increased air threat that will likely come from the Russians uh, from airstrikes and missile strikes. Okay. And you're right, they are flying most of their missions, the, the, the main missions. They are not venturing inside Ukrainian air, airspace because they know the Ukrainians have a sophisticated and nimble air defense capability. Rebel on the double! Yeah, baby! Hmm. Now, what is this missile, this artillery radar? What is... what? Somebody shoots an, an artillery shell and they got a radar on it. I mean, yeah, it what so, is this? It sounds like a, like a ghetto version of the Iron Dome. You know, and I'm not too sure. Maybe, maybe it's one of those. Maybe it's one of the radar. You know, they, they do have the radar stuff that tracks the missile and then uh, melts the missile in flight. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah I'm sure that's not what they're talking. about. I don't think about. they get. They said, "Yeah, just <laughs> who knows what they gave him." <laughs> <laughs> We're just unloading this stuff from the dump. <laughs> hey, hey, Zelensky, Zelensky, Vladimir, this is quality stuff, best price from the dump. Straight well, from the, the dump. Surplus, the surplusing in the and I use this interesting usage. The surplusing by the Defense Department. If you get on their mailing list, which I'm on, mm. is they're just they, it's unbelievable. Yeah, if we spend eight hundred million a year for the DoD. At least six hundred million gets turned into surplus the next year and and sold off for pennies on the dollar. Yeah. But they can't do that with these with these uh, with bombs <laughs> with, with explosives bombs or radar anti <laughs> anti artillery radar whatever that that they yeah. t- gets towed around on a truck yeah that that's they, they last year's sell model that to the public that's They'd last year's to, model we that's, that's it's uh, we got to get rid of that we're moving this uh, inventory I think yes. you're right I think you're <laughs> right inventory turn. Has there been any other development that you've seen at all? I mean, I, I keep hearing that they're talking. They're talking about uh, swapping 3,000 prisoners. So it seems like it's kind of getting towards an end, except for the the U.S. military and media. Everyone hey, else hey, has moved hey, Vladimir, on. Hey, Vladimir, just hold one second. You just keep this going. For, we've got at least another 10, 20 
C C three loads of crap that we've got yeah, to move. But let me, we, our warehouses are full of junk that we're made. We've got to get out of there. Can you just let this happen? We'll just rubbleize it. Whatever area, what is it? You want to rubbleize the don't? Yeah, okay, we'll do that. Yeah, no, it's, it's overplayed. It's Rubble. done. We have no attention span. So where we're at now is Volodymyr can no longer, he, he doesn't have the star appeal. He doesn't have the no, command he's, of the he's, English he's, language. He's, no, he's done. They thought he could really drag it out. And, you know, they tried to make him into a new Michael Avenatti, which is kind no, of true. My, my Vladimir was Putin. Oh. Let Putin, they want to keep Putin in the game for a little longer. Well, no, of course. Out and no, just of, leaves, course. It, of course, they want to keep. Putin, no, they want to keep Putin in longer. Of course, yeah. no, I think of course. They have to do it with a, by agreement. Probably. But right. They got to get move some more garbage. Is that the last clip? Yeah, I know you have four. Number okay, four. Little, Here wrap you go. it. President Zelensky has been asking for more sophisticated weaponry since the very beginning of this war. Why didn't you give it to them earlier? We have been in constant con- conversation with the okay, Ukrainians stop. about their needs and the. Stop. Okay, you started over. Here's an example of Kirby doing his real job, not answering the question. <laughs> he does not answer this question. He doesn't come close. And of course, the NPR guy instead of saying, "Well, that kind of that's interesting," but I still want to know what you know. The question I asked was this, and then he felt no, that didn't happen. And so we just never find out anything. The guy says thank you, and they and they go away. President Zelensky has been asking for more sophisticated weaponry since the very beginning of this war. Why didn't you give it to them earlier? We have been in constant con- conversation with the Ukrainians about their needs, and the, the package that you're seeing today is, is actually an outgrowth of those conversations in just the last few days, talking to the Ukrainians about this fight in the Donbass and what they could really use. Uh, we have tailored each package uh, to what we think uh, they're going to need the most, and that conversation will continue going forward. Okay. Now, now we've got to talk about it. I have never heard, uh, when it came to Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, I've never heard about a package. Why is why does he keep talking about a package? Are there more packages? Was it part of a bigger package? Is this a, when he says package? Is that like a financial, like uh, something you're uh, that you're putting into a bill somewhere? And there's another package. You know, there's something about the use of package yeah, that's you're right. bothering and me. I didn't catch that, but he's saying. Pa- this was from the beginning when you made the joke about, about his package, about Kirby's package. Yeah. He's a rear admiral. It's just some gay material that you slipped in there. Yeah, pretty that, good, huh? That you thought was yeah. funny. Yes, uh, as a childish prank, which the trolls loved because they're childish. Of course, that mm-hmm. they're yeah. they love this. Yeah. They love you. We are a comedy but, show, after all. But now that you mention it. <laughs> Yeah, they seem to be using this word a lot. It's like some new term. What does it mean? And why is it all of a sudden? Because you're right. We never heard this before. Well, typically a package is paid for, is bought, is funded. I mean, uh, is dropped off. Uh, What else do you do? Is wrapped up. Uh, It's a present. It's a gift. I'm just trying to figure out why they, well, it. We have military listeners. One of them can maybe. Someone can let us know. Yes. If they know. Uh, from NPR to uh, PBS NewsHour, uh, a great example of slipping in a little what you say about yourself, with your cop door to health. In other words, what you say they are, you are yourself. And this came in the form of an interview, but it was short, sweet, and to the point. People here share much cultural identity with those across the border just 20 miles away. For Peter, it is not Russia or Russians that are the problem. It's Vladimir Putin. 
I'm going to tell you from the bottom of my heart, this man is a reptile, not a human. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, he's the reptile. Okay. Um, and uh, everyone needs to benefit from the war. So, you know, now that we don't really have... Uh, By the way, before you... I, I can't, this show's going to drag on forever. But let me mention something. It's the liberals and the Democrats who go on and on about when they do analysis of wars. They say, well, you know, once you start to dehumanize the other side and make them so they're not human, then you can do all kinds of atrocities. Mm-hmm. And the, the goal, you know, this is the problem that people have. And they go on and on about how bad it is to do that. And then here we have a guy doing it, <laughs> calling him a reptile. Reptile's not a human. That's right. He even said reptile, not human, specifically to point it out. So uh, what are we going to do with this? It's boring. Uh, there's no good action video. We can't even get a good empty child shoe. You know, we, we're, we're shooting cat. We're getting pictures of cats. The timeline's <laughs> confusing. There's a lot of bull crap. But we've been told we need to keep it up. So let's just uh, bring in people who can relate it to Trump. So, uh, Mr. Ambassador, uh, we saw Joe Biden talking about. Oh, this is uh, the ambassador, former ambassador to Russia, Michael McFall, uh, on the Morning Joes. Genocide yesterday, talking about the war crimes that have been committed. Uh, I'm not I'm sorry. I I don't believe that the Russians are all naive to to what's going on because they plug into state television and as if they don't understand the war crimes that are being committed. Uh, You um, you uh, you uh, retweeted a piece. But what he's trying to say is that surely there must be some 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 normal sane people in uh, in Russia. See, this has been the strategy since before the war, where Victoria Newland and um, Nancy Pelosi were speaking, and others were speaking to the Russian people. Tell him to to stop stop antagonizing Ukraine. He needs to focus on COVID at home. COVID at home. You have problems at home. Focus on at home. So now they're going to try and start a revolution inside Russia against Putin by saying there's got to yeah, be some sure. smart people. Yeah, and what you do is you divide people into groups over there as well. You uh, you uh, retweeted a piece uh, talking about um, complicity, the complicity of the Russian people. Uh, what's the term? Uh, glacial tongue, uh, collective guilt. What was used in, in, in Nazi Germany to talk about ordinary people they just go along with an evil regime. Are we there yet with the Russians? Well, I think we have to discuss it. This is very difficult for me because, of course, this is Putin's war. Uh, Russians didn't, you know, we're not all complicit in it. They didn't vote in uh, Congress democratically elected. They live in these propaganda machines. And, and if you're in the Wait. Putin bubble. When's the last time we voted for a war in the Democrat and in the Congress? <laughs> By democratic means. Tell me, when's the last time we voted for by democratic means Vietnam. for a war? Vietnam. No. I thought Vietnam wasn't even voted. Oh, yeah, World War II then must have been the last one. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. what nonsense is this? Well, th- now you're just doing whataboutism. 
Okay. Go on. Okay. Play. Play. Go back to your bucket and play some more of this bucket clip. Hey, sometimes you get a clip from the bucket, but if you want to be critical of everything I do today, fine. All complicit in it. They didn't vote in uh, Congress, democratically elected. They live in these propaganda machines. And, and if you're in the Putin bubble, uh, right, <laughs> it doesn't matter what information, you're not going to believe it. That probably sounds familiar, right? You think of Trump supporters. Yeah. It doesn't matter Washington what kind of Post. information they have, they're still going to believe it. But I don't think think the majority of Russians fall in that bubble. And I do think we have to to raise the question. I was just on a, a YouTube uh, discussion for an hour yesterday uh, in Russian saying these kinds of things. You can't just say, well, it's not my war. It's not my president. It's not my problem. No, it is. Uh, because for decades, uh, there hasn't been more resistance. Now, that's not to say that everybody should be as brave as Alexei Navalny uh, and, and go to jail for their beliefs. But but small acts of civic resistance, I think, is important to show that you don't support this war. It's even worse. It's like, well, it he's putting what does that mean? Putting pennies on the railroad track? Yeah. Small, it's small, civic res- yeah, small little bits of resistance. Here's a couple of pennies. Yeah, uh, but it's Trumpian, you know. This is it's all it's all this is the same guy basically. Trump and uh, and Putin, same guy. It's just the same, same guy. guy, same guy. Reptiles. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have anything else on the war. I mean, the war was interrupted by the subway. It even interrupted Europe. The European news stopped reporting on the war and then focused on the New York subway. They're trying to pivot. Do I have any more Ukraine clips? I don't think so. Do I? Do you have a list of your clips or? Uh... I'm looking at it. Yeah, I did find it. I don't think so. I don't think so. I'd like to pivot for a moment since it's uh, been happening all around me most recently to uh, the Great Reset, the global supply chains, the Great Resignation, all the crap we're seeing, the superinflation. Airports, insane. Airports, insane. Yeah, this is falling apart now. Uh, the uh, the aviation system, which is something that America relies on to a great degree, uh, the, the proof one piece of proof comes from American Airlines, who are now uh, no longer going to offer many flights to smaller airports or regional airports. Instead, uh, they will uh, offer bus services. Yeah. <laughs> Take the bus. Take the yeah. bus, slaves. Now the, the back of the bus. The, nuss, dude. The, the buses will be nice. They'll they'll look nice. They're gonna, they're going to be beautiful. But no, nah, this is this yeah. Is, the, all new buses are. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, not the problem. Exactly. We have. Uh, oh, and I did want to. I, I was corrected on the reason for the the pilot shortage. First of all, there's a shortage of pilots in general. It's just what it is. Um, and there's many reasons for that. Certainly. Uh, with COVID, a lot of uh, older pilots just resigned. I'm not dealing with this shit anymore. Uh, incorrectly, I was stating that pilots had a 100-hour limit per calendar month. Uh, actually, it is 100 hours in a rolling 672-hour period. So that's 28 days. Now, I'm not quite sure how the math works, but it's not working out to our advantage, that's for sure. Um, I also now have boots on the ground from uh, more of our uh, uh, of our aviation producers that it is not just pilots who are um, uh, who are cutting out and uh, either just retiring or stopping or finding something else to do. Now there is a shortage of flight attendants, 
And you need flight attendants. You can't fly without the the right amount of flight attendants. And they it can't just be anybody. They do go through training because they're there to help you get off the plane. That's, that's no, you hey. can't. I mean, th- hey. now now, flight- hey, buddy, would you like to be a flight attendant? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, our producer writes very specifically that uh, he knows that at one point recruiting was being done at Olive Garden. Just ah. <laughs> yes. So the and they're yeah, pay- sure it was yeah hey sweetie hey, baby, like a hey, job hey, hey would you uh, like to work would you like to international travel <laughs> would you like to see the world with me I've got the way for you <laughs> uh, by the way it's very sexist because there's also male flight attendants but maybe that's who you're talking to you were doing a male guy doing a you were hitting on a male guy right there, there you go right there hey sweetie. <laughs> Uh, now, why are the flight attendants quitting? Well, besides the even shittier pay than pilots, certainly if you don't have seniority, they are sick and tired of policing passengers about masking. And so half of them, or maybe more than half, just don't want to do it anymore. They're tired of it. They don't like the confrontation. It's just, it's it's annoying to have to do. And they uh, have real problems when you have a mixed cabin crew. And of course, you don't get to choose who you fly with. Because there are a lot of Karens, and those are the male flight attendants. There's a lot of Karens who are still like Nazis, and the other flight attendants really don't want to deal with them. So don't it's blame them. It's falling apart. JetBlue, JetBlue has said, and these are the airlines that service us here in the middle of the country. Uh, Southwest, JetBlue, uh, all of these flights, you know, San Antonio was very important to us. San Antonio flights are getting canceled. That's literally where our flights were canceled from. But not just canceled, they're not going to service them. JetBlue has now announced that now in total they have reduced their flights for the summer by 25% because they say we will not be able to fulfill them. Uh, this is not good for the United States. In fact, you know, I, I was doing some calculation just to get to Florida or to New York. With the travel to the airport, with the two to three hours at the airport for the TSA and all, which has shows no signs of letting up. No, it is only marginally more expensive, uh, and about the same amount of time for the keeper and uh, for Curry and the keeper to hop in uh, a Cessna or in uh, a Cirrus or something you know, turbo uh, that can uh, go uh, up, you know, get some altitude to get to two thirty, two forty knots. And fly ourselves, and I am now going to get my instrument rating, which I never completed. I found a place in Bernie nearby, and they have uh, aircraft for rent as well, and we're just going to fly ourselves. You you got a pilot's license for a helicopter, and you never got an instrument rating on a fixed wing? Uh, I I got my helicopter license before I got my fixed wing license. Oh, Um, you started with a helicopter. I started with helicopter license, yeah. That's odd. It is atypical. And then I got the fixed wing. And uh, th- I did a lot of the training, but then, you know, I got a divorce. I moved out of the country. You know, these things uh, uh, seem to uh, ruin your uh, your flying uh, uh, lessons. Uh, so I'm so I'm I'm going to complete that, and we're just going to fly ourselves. We're not because everyone's going to be restricted. You're going to be driving a heck of a lot or taking the bus. It's so sad, and I'm just waiting for the damn rail, the, the high speed rail, to crank up again. You know that's going to happen. You going to say something? I was going to say I had a funny line, but it was the timing's now shot. <laughs> uh, so the Great Reset is uh, in play, at least for the United States. 
Um, inflation now, the uh, the number that was reported was eight point five percent, and I think we I don't know if we talked about it on Thursday, which was really Sunday. Jen Psaki already communicating there you go this again. I did it on purpose. Yes, OCD. Jen Psaki. No, it's not OCD. Jen Jen Psaki pre-communicating uh, something which I think was new: the headline inflation versus core inflation. Which was a way to say it's no, Putin's please. fault. Yeah, yeah. The headline no, inflation. No, she actually says that Putin's price hikes. Yes, she does. So, because of the actions we've taken to address uh, Putin, the Putin price hike, we are in a better place what than Putin we were. Price hike. Well, so remember, COVID was to cover up the coming and to stop the uh, the financial in Adam's world to stop the financial system from melting down. Uh, then, of course, we, we got the inflation, and here comes the inflation, so then we have the war to blame it on Putin. They're blaming all, and I have to say, in the, your words, not many people are buying it. <laughs> they're saying, hold on a second. Not, they're not that stupid. N- no. At some point, they, they, they stretch well, the truth to an extreme. We've reached that point. So because of the actions we've taken to address uh, Putin, the Putin price hike, we are in a better place Putin than we were hike. last month. Um, but we expect March CPA, CPI headline inflation to be extraordinarily elevated due Ooh. to Putin's price hike. And we expect she a said large it twice. I didn't realize this. And headline inflation reflecting the global disruptions in energy and food markets so so headline inflation includes your gas money and your food money that's not real inflation that's a core inflation that's head it's just headline you just you're just sampling a headline here don't worry about it that headline will go away it's transitory Core inflation doesn't include energy and food prices uh headline inflation does and of course we know that core inflation you know energy You've been doing DH Unplugged for a decade or more. Have you ever heard of headline inflation before? No. This is a... a, They're making it up as they go along. And it's... They have, by the way, they have meetings. You know that, right? They have a meeting. They'll have a meeting to dream this stuff up. Well, what can we say? Well, let's... How about headline inflation? That's... Oh, that's great. Headline inflation? What an idea. Putin... Putin's... How about... How can we get Putin in there? So Putin's, Putin's price, price hike. hike. It's alliteration. We love that. Headline inflation has a Wikipedia entry. Hold on a second. It, it, when was it inserted? Look, I do the history and see when it was thrown in there. Okay. View history. I'm viewing history. Thank you for this lesson. In uh, Okay. This was uh, put in July 2007. Okay, Isn't that so interesting? Well- yeah, that's so during the Obama administration. Well, it's just before we were going to get some. We were, I guess, they were prepping for some inflation. Now, this is very interesting. So let's see what they say. I I'd, I'd never heard headline inflation. Uh, headline inflation is a measure of the total inflation within an economy, including commodities such as food and energy prices, e.g., oil and gas, which tend to be much more volatile and prone to inflationary spikes. On the other hand, core inflation. Uh, also, non-food manufacturing or underlying inflation is calculated from a consumer price index minus the volatile food and energy components. I thought the consumer price index always included that. Isn't that the whole point? It used to, yeah. They, they pulled it out years ago. Well, I think if, you, you know, if you're going to say this is the highest inflation since 1981, you should use 1981 CPI calculation, which puts inflation a little closer to 12 or 13%. Uh, I 
I'd have to. You could find out that number pretty I did. much. By I did. It's twelve or thirteen. Shadow stats? Did you go to shadow stats? Uh, no, I I followed another path, but shadow stats would give you the same the same answer. I think. Um, might be even higher over there. So there was, Damn. and there's been no recent editing of this article. Okay, well, I stand corrected. It's it's been around, but let's see. Please. Let's just take a look at which news outlets used it. Who used the term Barons headline inflation? Uh, Yahoo Finance headline inflation. CNBC headline inflation. Axios headline. In- so they're all using the term. So they were in the meeting. Mm, it has to be something like that. All right, back to headline inflation from Psaki. So that core inflation, you know, energy, the impact of energy, of course, on oil prices, gas prices, we expect that to uh, continue to reflect what we've seen uh, the increases be over the course of this invasion. And just as an example, since President Putin's military buildup accelerated in January, average gas prices are up more than 80 cents. Most of the increase in, uh, occurred in the month of March, and at times gas prices were more than a dollar above pre-invasion level. So that roughly 25% increase in gas prices will drive tomorrow's inflation reading. And certainly it's not a surprise to us, but we certainly think it will be reflected. Yeah. So <laughs> Boy, that's dancing. It's what you call dancing. She's dancing. And she's reading a lot and she's not very good she, at it when it comes a, to this. Does stuff. she have a cane that she's moving a straw hat? <laughs> no, she does. That's what she needs. <laughs> no, she doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't have that. Um, so let's look at some other things that could indicate indicate uh, the uh, the collapse and the great reset. This is did you look up? Did you while you were in the Wikipedia? Did you look up Putin's price hike? <laughs> that might be in there too. Yeah, let's and see. it turns out to be from two thousand seven yet again. Price hike. Let's see. I don't know. You never know. Putin's price hike. Uh, no, there does not seem to be a Wikipedia entry. Okay. Yeah, but good lead. There's no no such thing as following a a lead. Nope. Um. Now, this is sad. From, mm, I'd say, 2008, maybe even a little earlier, just when this when this podcast started, we determined that eventually the slaves of Gitmo Nation would be eating mac and cheese. Mac and cheese has been a consistent um, theme of this show. Yes, it has. Uh, that, it, you, you know, just shut up, citizens. Eat your mac and cheese. Just shut up and eat it. And we've seen, and and then we we came very close to that with the grilled cheese. Put, put a time code there. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember the grilled cheese? The, the grilled cheese stores. It would people were paying. Yeah, there was one across from Mevio. Fifteen dollars for a grilled cheese or something. <laughs> it was a, it was a was grilled before. cheese sandwich store. <laughs> and people it was stood a in line. Restaurant that only served grilled and cheese. And people sandwiches. stood in line out the door. Out the oh, door. No, when it first opened up, there was <laughs> yes, there was a line around the block, and that led to avocado toast. But I digress. <laughs> it did. So. um Kraft has their individual uh, boxes, their packets of mac and cheese. I've seen them as low as 39 cents. Yes. Well, you've seen them as low as 39 cents, but they are not the same package from last year. Last year, the cheese powder content, and when, cheese powder, which is important. plasticizers, was 1.3 ounces. This year, 0.8 ounce. Oh, shrinkflation. Living. 
Mac and cheese. Let's see how things are going in California. Santa Monica, how's everything with your health and safety? Good morning, Tony and Aroxia. Yes, it's a definitely concerning situation here on the 1300 block of 14th Street in Santa Monica, where residents say they have suspended mail service because of the fact that their mail carriers have been attacked or threatened or assaulted. And they say this has been going on for a few weeks now. Even one resident saying they saw mail strewn about the street because a man kicked over the cart and basically threatened the mail carrier with a golf club or some type of bat. So because of all this, the Postal Service here in Santa Monica sent a letter on April 7th last week saying that the mail service will be suspended for this area. About 200 families will be impacted because of this because it's just not safe for their letter carriers to be out here delivering the mail. Now, of course, residents are concerned about this and wondering why they can't just apprehend the person involved in all this, making the threats. Obviously, the Postal Service, according to this letter that they issued to the residents, say that uh, this isn't a decision they made lightly, but they cannot locate or apprehend the person involved in these threats. And so, for the safety of the letter carriers, they had to make the decision to suspend mail service here. I love love the residents. Like, how come we just can't catch the guy? What's wrong with you? What's wrong? Can't, can't, Can't catch the guy. Why can't we get better service? Because you've let your politicians ruin your county, your state, and well on the way to the country. That's why. And there's a very simple solution for this. First of all, congratulations to the Postmaster General who has fixed the pre-funding of the USPS's pension until, uh, you know, for $75 billion or whatever amount they, they, they were required to do. Whatever scam was. Yeah, so they don't have to do that anymore. But let's, let's remember that the Postal Service is uh, constitutionally arranged. These, you know, a, a, a letter carrier uh, who works for the United States Postal Service is a, is a government agent, not just a, just a worker, a government agent. I think we can solve two things by arming... The, the letter carriers. That was obvious that, that that was where you were going, and I agree 100%. I think we should arm them. I think they should be just shooting people who are rowdy. If you got a golf club and you're on the street in Santa Monica, poof, yeah, shoot them. Poof, just shoot them. <laughs> it's shit will end real fast. Now, what is the going on? I mean, what's going on? Why is some maniac with a golf club? By the way, Santa Monica is a high-rent district. Yes, sir. It's not a cheap ass, you know. It's not Oakland. Well, there's no a, there's, there's a huge there's them. a huge homeless uh, encampment uh, in Santa Monica. Okay, well that's where the that's part one. From. That's now part why there's a, a town like Santa Monica when when L.A. is right right there, it's right across. It's just a wa- walking distance. Yeah. Uh, why does Santa Monica have a homeless population when they can? Do what they used to do in the olden days, rouse them and send them to L.A. <laughs> well, you know, that is no longer constitutional because if they're in a tent, then that rousting is uncruel and unusual punishment, which is a constitutional violation, according to the Ninth District Court, which started this whole thing off in Boise, Idaho. And that's what every single town, including Austin, has used. Also, it's much cooler to do drugs on the beach. So, I, I don't know. Well, that's, for, that's, a fact. <laughs> that's a fact. So. uh Yes, there's a stupid law, but that doesn't mean you can't, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, you still rouse them. It's doable. But they won't do it because they're bleeding hearts and they're, well, you don't get mail. I think this is a great solution. Yeah, go you pick it up. 
Go pick it up yeah. yourself. Go pick it up yourself. Uh, we'll have it waiting for you at the post office. Staying in California, uh, California is now considering a 32-hour work week for larger companies. Yep. By law. Now, how? what is – is this – has this ever been done before in the United States? They've been – oh, are you kidding? This is the – is this been the 70s? goal of the socialists is this... and the Franklin Roosevelt administration. Okay, okay, let's talk about the shorter work week. I I don't know much about this. It's been well over the years. It's been you know in the early in the olden days, uh, people used to work sixty hours a week, uh, fifty hours a week, eighty hours a week in Silicon Valley. But they like doing that, and it's not it's got nothing to do with anything. But there's been a movement over the years to get a shortened work week, and the goal was always a four four day work week. And they, when they got to forty hours, and the unions, when the unions were strong, which was in the forties and fifties, mostly, and it deteriorated in the sixties, and it went down the toilet. Now, uh, they they gave up on the idea of pushing for the four day work week, and they were they were celebrating the forty hour work week. Right. And and anything over that, you have to get paid overtime, and it has to be a, a factor. A double, like, double or triple. Oh, uh, usually time and a half. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to double time for weekends and other crazy things. But uh, it's just a throwback. It's just an old, it's an old trope. It's, a, I would say, a socialist trope. It's not going to go anywhere. It's, it's, it's virtue signaling. It's, yeah, look what we're trying to do for you. Oh, we oh I, think those, I think they're going to do those it. Those damn Republicans. No, they won't. The, the Republicans stopped it. Well, wait a minute. In California, there are no Republicans. Yeah, how did that happen? Yeah, well, there's one guy. Oh, <laughs> all right. Uh, and, and I would like to just, I don't know if we put this in the red book, but let's just enter it now. This big this big money thing that's coming that I feel, you know, for COVID and rail security and all this stuff, it is also going to include money going directly to people to ease the burden of gasoline prices. You will be getting checks. I It's coming. Now, I think that's already been proposed. I don't know if this is much of a prediction. If at a federal level, I think it's only at a state level. Now, the prediction would be that it comes in the form of a digital dollar somehow. That would be beautiful, but I don't think they can wait that long. But I did want to talk to you, again, something you are uniquely qualified to talk about, as the AAA, the Automobile Association of America, has warned that this recent... Uh, a move by President Biden to ease the price of gasoline by allowing E15, <laughs> i.e. 15% corn, uh, corn-based corn fuel to be yeah. mixed in with gasoline, could cause car damage. You know a lot about this. I, I'd like to I know have, what you I've think. Been looking, I actually looked into this before this. I mean, when I was doing some research on alcohol uh, in, in vehicles. <laughs> I yes, did some vehicle and alcohol absolute. last night. But you're yeah, all over. It was a Bordeaux, a different style. <laughs> It wasn't made with corn that I know of. So uh, it's been pretty much, I think, by the by the API, the people that have to do with the American Petroleum Institute and the people that have to that keep tabs on these things, it's been pretty well accepted that the car can handle 10% max. A normal engine cannot do more than that because it starts to corrode. It has... Det- deleterious effects and i pronounced it correctly uh on the on the engine itself to go above 10 percent uh ethyl ethylene in uh, ethyl ethanol and that's because it's gasoline. just not enough lubrication if you're if, if you're on 15 percent ethanol I think it has to do with the solvent capabilities of the ethanol it will mm-hmm. like start to corrode the 
rubber that's in this in the system. But now it's my understanding that that Trump allowed E15 to be mixed all year round when he was president, but we didn't hear much about it. I will we'll look into it further. But okay. as far as I know, the rule is 10% the most. Okay. Um I mean if they they could set these engines up to run E85 uh, if they wanted to, it's because it, my we have a Dodge or a, a Chrysler. Um, it's a minivan, the big minivan, and that is an E85 car. And there, and unfortunately, there's only like five E85 pumps in the West Coast <laughs> total. But besides that, it's uh, when you run E85. Besides getting ten percent less gas mileage. It, the car runs like a champ. It's a bad, but it's designed to, and you can get your car set up to run E85. Mm. Uh, and then once you do that, I, it has to do with, I think, changing out some of the hoses and some other, and maybe changing the timing or the, or the amount of fuel that's shot in through the injectors. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know the details, but it's doable. Uh, in the EU, but I think it will be equally as important in the U.S., there is a growing fear of a diesel fuel shortage. I'm not sure why specifically uh, a, a shortage. Is there something about diesel fuel that is more difficult to, to make? Well, no. Actually, it's easier to make. Okay. The, the problem with the diesel is they've come up with these new standards. Oh, this is where you need the, the pig the pig piss to uh, to drive well, it. You, besides needing <laughs> the pig piss, you have to, the, the fuel itself has to have... Uh, no, you know, the sulfur content's got to be reduced so much. That makes it very difficult to make. And they've got these new rules for That's why they, if you notice when people look down, the, you got the gas pump, you got your regular and mid-level and premium and then mm-hmm. diesel. And diesel sometimes the most expensive. That's never been the case. And people go, I wonder why that is. I know. Yeah, because they changed the specs on diesel that's fuel. That's my point. Because diesel used to be the cheapest. It used to always be the cheapest, but they changed the specs ah. because they hate us. Yeah, see, see, I knew it. I knew that it had to be something in the process they're forcing us to do because it's basically just, isn't it just less refined? It's just crap. You just well, skim not, it off the top. Jar- garbage, but you can make it out of, you know, out of French fry oil. And you Yes, that, I know. I know. Yeah. I've, I had a car that drove on it. There was a guy who wrote it, he scoriated me for my commentaries recently on, because I, wasn't keeping up with the fact that California's fuel prices have a lot to do with the fact that we have a special blend that we must use, we must use oh. in California, and that it costs more money to make. It's and the same thing. It's a, it doesn't really, as far as I can tell, do anything for the environment, but it's an environmentally friendly blend, and it has a name. And only California is the only state <laughs> in the country that uses it, and so our gas prices are at least 50, 50 cents a gallon more. Cal juice. Uh, minimum. Call it cow juice, and uh, but there's a lot of a lot of they're doing they're playing games. Um, hopefully, the former New York banker is listening as I uh, read this headline because he said eh, not happening, it's not going on. <laughs> home buyer, home builders bypassing individual home buyers for deep pocketed investors. Oh no, you don't say. More than one in every four new houses purchased. Uh, is by a professional rental investor in the fourth quarter, and it's only yep. going to be more. But I don't know if they're going to be able to do more because these houses have all gone on the market, and they're they're scooping them up as fast as they can. But this is new. Well, 
This is we for have new it out home here. It's a real problem. The new home what? builders. This is for new home builders. Oh, the new home builders. The oh, new my home God. builders. Yes, the new home builders are not selling to uh, individuals and families anymore. They're going. They're going straight to the investors. Yeah, this is going to be a disaster. Yes, because you will own nothing and you will be happy. <laughs> no, I don't think that's going to And, yeah. and, It's never going to work out because these guys, this is like everything else. They get all, they get all, this, by the way, stems from Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett oh, yeah. was the one who first said, you know, and this was like 10 years ago, or five, 10 years ago. He says, you know, Eh, renting's going to be the big, good investment. Buy, buy rental properties and rent them. You're going to make, you're going to do good. And so, uh, or as my daughter would correct me saying, you're going to do well. Well, um, it, interestingly, the EU seems to be on the path to approve nuclear energy as green and ESG compliant. Yes, so, this so, is true. So there's Bill Gates. He knew it was coming. He's invested in nuclear. He yeah, he he knew that was coming. And it's and we're all. I'm all for it. I love the idea of the small uh, nuclear reactors, the the ones that can power a small town or a city, yeah, neighborhood, backyard nuke. I've been wanting one of those for a long time. Yeah, this would solve true. a lot of problems, but I'm I'm sure they'll find reasons to not not make that the thing that they really want us to have. Um, well, let's see, they don't want us to have cheap energy. No, they don't. They also don't want us to have any type of, as we just discussed, any type of food that resembles food. We talked about no, mac and cheese. Powder. Yep, <laughs> less powder in your mac and cheese. CBS had a great piece, uh, and we have to hurry because I, I, I was confused. I thought we had a about eight or nine years before we're all going to die. Did you? Did you? Have you been tracking how much time before climate change kills us? Before there's a point of no return. Well, that's we've already passed it. We we should all be dead already, like two or three times. They keep changing it. Well, CBS the goalposts. CBS News resets it once again for us. Right, a new United Nations report on climate change warns the world has only three years to act in order to avoid an irreversible catastrophe. (laughs) Three years, (laughs) only three years to, to to reverse an unavoidable catastrophe. What can we do about it, Nora? Meanwhile, a California startup is doing its part to cut down on oh. greenhouse gas emissions by creating a new kind of alternative meat. CBS's Carter Evans reports as part of our new series, American Innovation. Now, I want you to listen to this American Innovation. It's only 50 seconds. And uh, try and hold hold your, uh, your lunch, your breakfast, and everything else until the end. Today we're going to be making a little air protein chicken korma. It's a classic Indian dish with a twist. It looks like regular chicken the way it cooks. You know, it gets that little crust on the outside there. That's the beauty of it. Physicist Lisa Dyson is the founder and CEO of Air Protein. And CBS News is getting an exclusive look at a product she says has the taste and texture of meat, but does not come from animals. It's created using a fermentation process similar to making yogurt, but instead of using microbes that consume milk and sugar air protein uses microbes that eat oxygen nitrogen and carbon dioxide how does it work you start off with cultures then you feed it elements of the air and it grows and grows and grows just like that yogurt culture you dry that and you get to a protein rich flour and that can be processed to mimic chicken seafood and beef we can grow enough material to make a steak in a matter of hours (laughs) slime mold same thing (laughs) it's just it grows and grows and grows Slime mold? Uh, yes, yeah, slime mold, uh, which is basically what these things are. 
Okay, explain. <laughs> various versions of slime mold, and then you can dry the slime mold. But what is slime? I've never heard of slime mold. Slime mold, yeah, look it up. Looking it up, slime mold. It's- is a single-cell organism in the Physiaraca family of the Myoxometatis. It's not a fungus. It's an uh, amoeboid, uh, um, amoeboid protist. Okay, I don't want any of that, but what is that's, it? That's what you want. You're going to get a big, giant slime mold, and then they're going to grind it up into a flour, and <clears throat> you can make bread from it. Mmm, yum. And then they, make some, they add some taste and some texture stuff that comes from uh, DSM Chemical in the Netherlands. The, the leaders, the eight billion dollar a year leaders of uh, of taste and texture. I want to do one last little thing before we go to the break. Well, we have to do two things, but go ahead. Oh, I don't know. Why we. Uh, I want to talk about grooming a little bit. Oh no, no, let's do that after the break because that's we got to talk about that more than a little bit. Well, the problem with after the break, I got so much Chinese stuff. No, we got to do grooming. It's super important. Right after the break, grooming is number one. Oh. I'm telling you, this is important. Okay, well, I have some grooming stuff, but, <laughs> but there's more to it than just that. I know. Let's, I know okay, there's a play, lot more to it. Let me play my it. last clip for this segment then, because you okay. can take, it, take whatever you want. It, this goes back to the Ukraine thing. There was a little study, they did a little bit, of, uh, they had brought some experts in at NPR to talk about sanctions and what good are they? Because there's been a lot of discussion, if you haven't noticed, you know, these sanctions, you know, we try them, we try them in Cuba, we try them, we do them all the time. And somebody finally came out and kind of admitted that these sanctions aren't really meant to do anything except punish. Do sanctions work? That is a question worth asking as U.S. and other Western nations keep hammering Russia with economic sanctions. If the war in Ukraine drags on for months or even years, how many Ah! more sanctions can the West impose? (laughs) And what is the end game? Emma Ashford is an expert on foreign policy at the Atlantic Council, and she joins me now to talk about this. Welcome to All Things Considered. Great to be here. Russian President Vladimir Putin said yesterday the new sanctions did, quote, achieve certain results. So how have sanctions impacted Russia's economy? So far, the sanctions that we've put on Russia's economy have caused the ruble to go into decline. I think up to 600 multinational corporations have left Russia. Um, And so the Russian economy is suffering from sanctions. What we don't know yet is the extent of that suffering and whether or not it will translate into, into any actual policy change. Well, first, how are these sanctions harming ordinary Russians who have nothing to do with the war. I mean, I've spoken to people in Russia who say it's hard to travel abroad now. It's hard to even access foreign-made medicines. Inflation is high. So how do these sanctions affect the ordinary person? In theory, targeted financial sanctions are meant to hit a government and not the people within a country. But in practice, that's very difficult to do. What we actually see in much of the studies that have been done on sanctions is that leaders, particularly in authoritarian states, are very good at insulating themselves from the effects of sanctions. Certainly, Vladimir Putin himself has been sanctioned. The people around him have all been. But that doesn't necessarily mean that their lifestyles at home are going to suffer. They may be able to pass some of that burden on to other people inside Russia. Mm. And so this, again, is one of those big problems. And unfortunately, the history of sanctions suggests that we're good at causing the economic pain. We're not good at getting policy changes out of it. Economic pain. This is just punitive. 
So it doesn't do anything. So all this, oh, sanction this, we're going to do more sanctions. It doesn't do anything. It's just a way of, you know, hurting someone. Well, it certainly does accelerate the Great Reset because of the financial networks being disturbed. There was something I read, which it sounds, I mean, of course I want to believe it, but it sounds odd, that because uh, Russia continues to sell their products, gas primarily, to Italy and Germany in rubles. This is why both Italy and Germany open bank accounts at the Gazprom bank. They send euros in. Gazprom then uh, completes the transaction in rubles. And what the Central Bank of Russia has done, I'm told, is they have pegged the ruble to gold. And Russia has a lot of gold. They were repatriating a lot of gold in the past 10 years. And if you do the numbers, it comes out to... Uh, and I don't have it in front of me, X amount of, uh, of, of you know, like 100,000 rubles for uh, uh, an ounce of gold, which if you translate it, is $1,400 an ounce, which would mean, and this was the, the part of what I was reading, that the dollar is in effect overvalued by, by that, you know, by 40% based on the price of gold. Well... The uh, luckily the dollar's not pegged on gold in no, any way. No, of course way. not. No, but, but gold so, is pegged to the dollar. But the um, this means, of course, they which is woman. I don't know. She, this happened before they did this interview. I'm sure, unless this interview was old. The rubles actually recovered it completely. Has. Yeah, not not completely, more, but quite a bit. No, I understand. It's above what it was yeah. before the war. It's 106 now. And so the ruble's up back to normal. And so they, they, they didn't get hurt from that in that regard. But they're also selling, and I've said it on the show before, they're selling their oil at a disc, 25% discount to India. And they, yep. they're having no yep. trouble keeping up with this. And the rest of it is just, it's nonsense. It's punishments like stealing the yachts, which <laughs> is illegal as far as I'm concerned and unfair and stupid. And this is nonsense. We're not doing anything. I mean, if we're doing anything that might be helping, it's sending our excess our inventory to uh, Ukraine to, so they can blow it up. Uh, the rest of it's bullcrap. Sanctions, sanctions, sanctions. So then the only reason we can uh, deduce that this took place was just to blame inflation on Putin. There seems to be no other benefit. Well... You're right. There's no other benefit. And it, it turns out that we're getting, we're start, starting to see that the ugly head of inflation before the attack. Mm-hmm. And now Putin did it. Headline inflation. He goaded into it as far as we're, we don't know. Uh-huh. And we're the ones who kept saying he was going to do it. And he wasn't, he said he wasn't, then he did. So something's up. And because that doesn't make a lot of sense unless the guy's just a psycho, which is like, we'd like to convince people he is. Uh, but now we, yeah, we have the great excuse for uh, for some the inflation of bonehead for, policies that created these inflation, this inflation spiral. So, the, so that's the uh, the financial network. There's one other network in play, and I don't remember if we talked about this on Sunday, uh, but I I certainly was pretty much certain that uh, Elon Musk not joining the board of Twitter meant there might be a hostile takeover, and today. Uh, the hostile takeover bid came out, and I'm, I do know that I said Elon Musk's mission, and that's his, that is his mission because he works for, in, as far as I'm concerned, he's a government shill for everything he does. 
he is out to destroy Twitter, and I think he's well on his way to doing it. Completely making Twitter irrelevant and destroying it. So that there's just no useful communication. He's carrying water for Trump. No, no, absolutely not. No, 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 no. Now, he wants to take this private. When you take when you take a company like Twitter private, you're just going to strip everything out and you're not going to bring it back as anything useful. And everyone's going to leave in horror. If, what, you're going to bring Trump back and that's going to make it a, a financially successful product because advertisers will flock to it? No. So what is the point here? I, think I don't know he, what the board I think he's going to I know that he didn't take the board seat cuz if he did then he couldn't own more than 14.5 or so percent of the company cuz that was written in the in their law and their mm-hmm. bylaws and he wouldn't be so able to he, tweet to, to want to take more than 14.5% of the company he has to not be on the board which is not right so he can do whatever he wants but uh, look at what he's done twitter almost fiducially from a fiduciary standpoint has to entertain if not accept this deal and if they don't, and, and, and Elon will be the first one to sell a stock if they don't, it'll tank the stock. It'll tank the company. And already, the, people are freaking out. Well, <laughs> the, the employees are that, leaving. And oh, my goodness. Well, if they don't, they don't. There's also the, 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 the nightmare of shareholder lawsuits. Uh-huh. I've talked to people that were part of these public it will companies. Just, his mission is to destroy Twitter. Well, good. And I think it, Twitter stinks. I, I do too. And I'm, I think it's fantastic. Destroy it. Go, this is the one time I, I think Elon's doing a good thing, even though he's, he's, he's doing it for his ultimate masters. But here, <laughs> oh yeah. here's, here's what came out of this. And this alone was enough. I'm so happy. Max Boot. Max Boot, who is a, what is he, MSNBC contributor? What does he do, no, Max He's Boot? a columnist, isn't he, for the Washington Post? I don't know what Max Boot does. He's an a-hole. Yeah. So here's his tweet. I am frightened by the impact on society and politics if Elon Musk acquires Twitter. He seems to believe that on social media anything goes. For for democracy to survive, we need more content moderation, not less. (laughs) Wow, that's the tweet of the year. (laughs) Can you believe? that someone would actually say that for democracy to survive we need more content moderation not less we need more more not less and with that i'd like to thank you for your courage to say in the morning to you the, to you the man who put the sea in the tasty meat cultures ladies and gentlemen mr john c Dvorak. in the morning to you mr adam curry Hey, also, all the more in the morning to all the ships at sea and all the boots on the ground and all the feet in the air and all the subs in the water. All of them. All uh, of them. All the games and nights out there. And too. every single one of the trolls in the troll room at trollroom.io. Let's uh, count them. Hey, hands up, trolls. How you doing? Let's see, uh, let's see what you're made of today as they scurry away. Oh, no. 2048. We're dead. We're toast. We're like Joe Biden's ratings, his approval ratings. We're just in the, in the toilet. Where is everybody? Yeah, I guess we've gotten, well, they were only interested in the show for COVID. Yeah. Well, they'll find out. You'll come running back. I think have turned on us because we we are not (laughs) carrying uh, Biden's water. Yes. And we don't display a blue and yellow flags on our, uh, on our uh, profiles. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. we, We don't have compassion. We're dehumanizing. You have to. You have to, because this is real. What's happening now is not just something to let your emotions carry you away with. That's why we shrink amygdalas on demand. 
Uh, trolls who are here, thank you. You're all looking good. Nice size amygdalas. You can find them at trollroom.io is where you can jump in and, and troll away. You can listen to the show live, noagendastream.com, or uh, follow us on uh, the most important social network in the universe, which is uh, the Fediverse. Uh, we have a server, which is noagendasocial.com. Anywhere you are on the Mastodon uh, Fedi- Federated uh, Networks, not even Mastodon, just the Fediverse as we call it, can be Pleroma or all kinds of other pieces of software, GNU chat. Hi, Pleroma. Uh, you can uh, follow us at John C. Dvorak at noagendasocial.com, at Adam at noagendasocial.com. Uh, and uh, when Twitter goes away, you'll still have a nice home. So uh, feel free to hit us up there. And thank you to the artist for episode 1441. We titled that Yak Facts. And uh, a rare pre-show art used as album art from Monsieur Thierry. This was a very different kind of piece for us. This was the step one, shoot your TV. Step two, no agenda in the morning, but really interestingly stylized. Very avant-garde. Avant-garde, yes, avant-garde. Yeah, it's very avant-garde. Not in avant-garde in a postmodern sense, but in kind of a, as somebody once said, you know, surfer magazine uh, art director design style. Mm. It, it, very, you know, just a, as advanced as, as out there and as advanced as you can be. Uh, it, it takes a very strange eye to me to be able to even do that stuff. So it, so it has. Comp- so it's composed nice. The composition is dynamite. Uh, the look is dynamite. It's got everything going on and for that style. And it's very hard style to do. And, and it's the, I think it's the most avant-garde style there is. I could be wrong. It's a, I could it's be a behind really two good. styles, <laughs> but I, <laughs> for me, it's very avant-garde. And I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm two styles behind too. John, Adam, and Harry Styles. There was some other stuff that we liked. I, I enjoyed uh, Darren O'Neill's chocolate-covered strawberries, but in comparison to uh, Monsieur Thierry's piece, it was like... Now, the piece I wish we could have done was uh, Dame Kenny Ben's Groomer, the New Order with the, Demo- with the Democrat uh, Democrat Party uh, logo. Yeah, yeah, that's that's that a good that's piece. a good way to get kicked off Twitter. That that would just yeah, be that doing was, it for uh, no we, reason. Yeah, we have to consider the the, the getting kicked off yeah, Twitter. We didn't want that. That was an obvious one. Um, although uh, cesium one thirty seven's beautiful little Dalmatian in the cast iron skillet, yeah, you know, that was a close second. <laughs> Frying up your dog, but you people are so sick. What else did we have? We had a Disney Mickey Mouse groomer. No, I just don't see that working. No. You liked, uh, you liked XE incoming. I did. Or XE detected. It says XE detected. Where it's next to that? the COVID wave. The sign, the triangle. Oh, yeah, sign. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did like it. It was also cesium-137. Yeah, I thought it was nice. I thought it would yeah, look Yeah, I didn't nice. like it in the at all. No, you so. didn't. You didn't. Uh, was there anything else that we considered? I don't think so, because we went for the piece that I'd used for the, for the pre-stream. That means we really uh, some chicken stuff. Uh, what else was there? Disney New World Order. Mm, it's okay. Uh, I it? liked Yak. I like it version two by uh, Nestworks, which had the girl and the the can. I don't even remember us discussing that as an option. Yeah. Hmm. 
Well, I also like I, I, I also like just for the design purposes. I like we did this uh, with Putin and uh, Biden with a mask on. I thought yeah, that was funny. Yeah, I think now, we, for I, the newsletter I used uh, Nestworks Cracker Gen. Which, yeah, yeah, that was good. <laughs> which I just thought was a nice, you know, nicely done, period. Yeah. It was very artsy. Yeah. Well, we appreciate uh, Monsieur Thierry. Thank you very much. Nice to make your acquaintance. I don't think we've chosen anything from him before, have we? I think we went over it. We know he's done a lot of high-end uh, high uh, avant-garde stuff, but we never picked any of it. Well, sometimes something else just hits better, and then we don't we don't see it, or it just... We don't notice the the quality of the artists. We do appreciate that, and the work of all of the No Agenda artists. They participate in our value for value uh, production, which means you can bring us time, talent, or treasure. Time and talent very well represented. You can see it at noagendaartgenerator.com. dot com, and a lot of this stuff uh, shows up at noagendashop.com for uh, t shirts. Mugs, hoodies, uh, stickers, you name it. And the artist benefits, the shop uh, benefits, and the shop donates to the show. It's a beautiful thing. Let's uh, thank our executive and associate executive producers for episode 1492 as we kick it off with Shay Arnold from Flagler Beach, Florida, with 413.19, which is typically a numerology-based donation. Let us read. I am making this donation on behalf of my husband, Jacob, for our third wedding anniversary. Three years! And they never had a fight. The amount is in reference to is the... Is that a switcheroo? We had to put put his name as on, a, on his behalf. Well, that is a good question. I think we should just add the two of them together. Yeah, that's the way to go. Because they are, it is three years. The amount is in reference to the date of our wedding, 4-13-19. Can you deduce him, please? Of course. You've been deduced. Happy anniversary, Jacob. Love, Shay. Oh, that is so sweet. That is a woman who loves her man. Of course, it's only been three years. Wait another five. We'll see what happens then. Uh, Robert Ludwig's <laughs> next. He's not waiting. He's came with 334-19 from Nevada, Iowa. I think we've seen Nevada, Iowa before. I've always been baffled by that. Yeah. I just wanted to say thank you for your deconstruction of the news. It gives me things to think about uh, and some good discussion points when talking to others. My donation today is a combination of my late wife's birthday, 3.30, and my birthday, 4.15. Please put me on the birthday list. She passed away at 47 in oh. February 2020 from leukemia. Sorry to hear that. That's for sure. So just before uh, she did it, she died just before the COVID mania. And this year I'll be 48, so it will be a bittersweet birthday because I am now older than she was. This also puts me more than halfway to knighthood. I want to thank Sir Paul, the book guy, for hitting me in the mouth in October of 2020. He would post things on Twitter that made me want to listen. Oh, thank you, Paul. Uh, And now I never miss a show. Can I please get an F cancer and a goat karma? They are both in honor of my wife. Thank you. All right, Robert, absolutely. You've got karma. Frank C2 uh, lives in Los Angeles, California, and comes in with a with a, our favorite executive producer donation, 333.33. In the morning to you, John and Adam. I am visiting Los Angeles after 10 years of being overseas, so I'm finally listening to you in the morning instead of 2 a.m. in Korea. <laughs> you know, it's a podcast. You you can listen at other times. I mean, just, just like, we invented yes. this thing 18 years <laughs> ago, yeah. but, but we appreciate it. 
Uh, it's strange to be back. The, so he's in Los Angeles. The crowd has gotten a lot older, especially in Venice Beach, which used to be young, hip, and vibrant. And the food when I dine out is really mediocre compared to what I get in Seoul. To keep my donation letter short this time, I'll sum it up in one sentence. This place sucks. It's boring compared to Korea or Hungary. Do people really pay this tax rate just for the weather? I want to request goat karma for my girlfriend again. She did not receive the scholarship, but is applying to a different program, now hoping to study the Hungarian language. To answer your question from last time, she's ethnically Korean, but culturally Russian. She's from Uzbekistan originally. Fingers crossed that this karma can help her join me in my move to Budapest in the fall. Good. I want someone in Budapest because the keeper and I eventually want to go visit when we can enter the EU legally. Here you go with your karma. You've got karma. Yeah, actually, I'd like to go too. Uh, sounds like a great yeah. place. By the way, his name is spelled C Z I T O. How would you pronounce it if you didn't if you didn't have the key there of Zito? Uh, I I would have said Zito. 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 Yeah, that's probably what I'd say. Not Zito. Uh, Zito. AJ, uh, a.k.a. Siren Sabotage. Sabotage! Farmington, Minnesota. Nuts 333.33. Just a millennial girl in a big amygdala world. (laughs) It's a song. Yeah. Thank you, John and Adam, for helping me exercise my mind. I'm donating to put myself on the birthday list for this Friday the 15th. It's my 33rd. Where's the bell? There it is. 33rd trip. And of course, slapping around for the bell didn't help. Uh, My 33rd trip around the sun as I further my quest toward becoming a dame. I humbly ask for jobs karma and 33 is the magic number jingle. Love is lit. EJ, Siren Sabotage. 33, that's the magic number. It's the magic number. Jobs, 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 and jobs. Let's vote for jobs. You've got Atlanta, Georgia brings us 333.33 from Benjamin Ettinger, uh, who is in Atlanta. He says, thank you. From Benjamin Edinger, Atlanta, Georgia. So I'll go straight to Sir Sonder from Zandong in the Netherlands, 333.33. Uh, here's some belated holiday money for wine, beer, camping, hookers, or anything else. Groetjes, Sir Sonder from Zandong, Earl of the Swiss Alps, soon to be Grand Duke. Holy crap. He has been with us and supporting us for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. He's been around forever. Love that. He's got more. He's got, he never takes credit for any of the intermediary. Uh, no, he's 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 your atypical Dutchman. Yeah, uh, Felicity Irwin's next on the list in Cold Springs, New York, three thirty three. Period. Hey, Adam and John and Adam, a donation in honor of my excellent husband's Ryan M's birthday, April 9th. Please give him it's true mac and cheese, five goat scream karmas, and a and a shut up slave, and tell him I love him. <laughs> You guys are great too, the Pelican. Yeah, we we, we we're not going to do multiple uh, uh, karma no, jingles. I think she wants to think she. I think five goat is the name of the goat thing. The goat. No, she wants five goat scream karmas no, she in a row. Doesn't really want five goat. That's scream exactly what she's row. asking for. Well, she says that, but I don't that's think that's true. That's true. It's exactly what she's asking for. It's true. That's true. Shut up, slave. 
you slaves can get used to mac and cheese. Mac and cheese. Mac and cheese. Macaroni and cheap cheddar melted together. Mac and cheese. Mac and cheese. Mac and cheese. You've got karma. Like that? Have you ever heard a porcupine? I, I don't have the clip. But have you ever heard a porcupine uh, talking? No. Uh, no, I can't say I have. I got, I got a clip of it. I got to play it, get, bring it to the show. It's the damnedest thing. Is it? Is it legible like speech or is it just... No, no, it's just usually there's a movie of this porcupine eating a little orange or something and he's making all these weird noises. Like, my, this is good. No, he does not say this is good. Well, no, but he say that's what he's saying. You can tell. <laughs> Onward to Mark Busherell. Busherell? I think so. Greenwood, Indiana, 233, first associate executive producer. This donation is on behalf of Josh Springer. Okay, the raffle winner of our Crossroads of America April 10 meetup, and it's towards his uh, knighthood, so that is a switcheroo. And we shall switcheroo that right now. Um, I'm going to do shout out, shout out to Mark and Maria for putting, uh, on the indie meetup. It's always a great time. Shout out my smoking hot girlfriend, Dame of the Amaze Balls and mine, Brittany Baxter. Thank you for the switcheroo on the winning raffle ticket and letting me have the cash towards my knighthood. She may have won the raffle, but I won the lottery. Shout out to you twos for being awesome. P.S. I'm hiring Google bottoms up beer dispenser. Ah, yes, of course we know this is, uh, he's been with, uh, with us for a long time, uh, uh, was it Josh? Hmm. Uh, no, not Josh. Uh, I, I just removed his name. Yes, he's been a, the bottoms up beer dispenser. We're looking for talented people with small amygdalas in the Indianapolis area to help change the world. One bottom filled beer at a time. This is a pretty interesting invention. Uh, jobs at bottomsupbeer.com for more details for those of you who want to work. Yeah, it is Mark, Mark Bacheri. Mark, yeah. Yeah, I, it, it, he he started. He was one of the founders of this company, and yeah. it's it's quite interesting. Uh, uh, once you get the next one, I'll get the last two. Amy Mullen is in Austin, Texas. A row of ducks. Two 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 dot two two. In the morning, gents. My job drop mask mandates three weeks ago. Half of staff still mask up for no reason. So I'm starting a rumor that the masks are drunk at work. <laughs> Y'all do the same. Well, that's a good bit. I like that. Hey, I think that guy's drunk because he's wearing so his he's mask. Wearing the mask. Yeah, I think it's fine. I like that idea. Excuse me, are you drunk? What are you talking about? Well, you're wearing your mask. Maybe to yeah. cover up the stench. <laughs> uh, I specifically asked for Job's Job's karma, so we know what that means. Uh, and Goat Karma, thank you for your courage. Love is lit. Thank you, Amy. Jobs. 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 You've got <laughs> Karma. We come up with Sir Desert Finn in Madison, Alabama, $202.02. And he says, ITM, John and Adam, and he needs the jingles of Nancy Pelosi's Jobs, Jobs, Jobs. And uh, oh, I guess that's the music. regular. That's the regular Karma. And that's just a regular karma, and and then it says and, and then I can't. Oh, uh, con- uh, contracting goat karma for contracting. You got it. Jobs, 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 and jobs. Let's vote for jobs. Yeah! You got karma. And last on the list is the Baron Anonymous Cop. 
in San Carlos, California. You know who you are. $200. I need to talk to him anyway. He's the patch guy. I just uh, got my patches uh, from the P.O. box. Yeah, he's at uh, 41patches.ca. Uh, uh, buy more patches. Buy more patches. That's <laughs> he sent me the patches. He sent me the stickers. I had now have more No Agenda and Curry Dvorak Consulting Group patches that I know what to do with. So now uh, I'm giving them out to my buddies here, my like cop buddies and ex-military buddies. And, hey, you got Velcro on your uniform? Put this on. We're going to get some pictures. Good. Yeah. But that's it. So, that was it. Yeah. That was that's it. It's a short list, 12 people total. Uh, actually, uh, 11 people total. One of those people is just name, amount, city, state, country. On the spreadsheet, so that was a short. It was a shortfall, but and then it was a shortfall in the chat room. So something we did in the last show. Oh bullshit! It's it's tax time. People are are heads down. They're getting crap yeah, done. They're funny. worried. I don't think it's something we did. Well, the let's last hope show it was a. Let's du- hope a- it goes. Let's <laughs> hope it turns around and gets better. Well, there's always other things we can do. That's the that's the easy part. Not much. Yeah. Not much. <laughs> But there's other things we can do. Uh, but we sincerely appreciate the support from our executive producers and associate exec- executive producers. You did keep us going, and we appreciate that. Uh, these titles, of course, should keep you going with uh, with your cred, your st- street cred. You can walk anywhere and say, excuse me, I, I am an executive producer of, of a real uh, media property. Uh, we, you even mentioned that in the newsletter. It's so true. And go to IMDb. Uh, take a look at some of the Hollywood heavyweights that are using their credits and list them proudly. Also, uh, uh, LinkedIn, you name it, you're, you're uh, uh, on your resume. And if there's anyone who, who questions this or wants to know what this is about, we'll be happy to vouch for you. If you'd like to become an executive or associate executive producer, we have a website for that. It's very easy to remember. Sing the jingle. Dvorak.org. Thank you again for producing episode 1442 of the best podcast in the universe. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. Okay, grooming. Grooming, grooming. Now, I uh, started this selection with the uh, Jason Whitlock clip because he was, did a whole hour and two hours on. Yeah, you, men- you mentioned this on uh, Sunday show. Yeah, I thought I'd get the clip. But he did a whole hour. And I, I got a very interesting little thing out of this. And I want to play these two, and then I want to read something, and then you can take it from there. Okay. But let's go with grooming. This is Jason Whitlock. Uh, discussing the the issue uh, as it, as it uh, pertains. And is this this to, on his Blaze show? Yeah, he's got a Blaze show called what's it called? He's got some name. It's pretty good. It's very well produced. Well, that's uh, that's Glenn Beck, man. He, if you're in with Beck, then he he doesn't hold back. Yeah, he's got the good opening, good everything about it is dynamite. Mm-hmm. Uh, sound is good. He's funny thing is he's got a l- cute little red microphone of some sort. I'm not sure what brand it is. I should identify. It. I can't. Because it turns out that he's actually mic'd. Ah, it's a it's a faux mic. It's a, a faux mic. Yeah, it's just a mic. It's a, just a decoration. His real miking is a lavalier that he's got pinned. That's to like him. that's like Letterman stuff. That always bothered me too. 
Yeah, well, every a lot of well that goes way back to well Carson. Is Carson where it started yeah, Carson and Carson, but Carson didn't have a lab. He would have the overhead shotgun that you have those you know the guys that get paid extra money to have that microphone that's right over your head that's aimed yeah. right at your mouth. Yeah, that they can t- turn on. They got dials, swivel it. Yeah, it's it just that's a lost art. Yes, I think that yes. particular kind of mic. Those guys are all now in the East River. Grooming, Jason Whitlock, number one. The other day over social media, what is grooming? And because the word groomers and grooming is being used a lot over social media, it's being talked about, and, and people are, people on the left are very defensive about this charge, that they're groomers, and some, some people don't know. So I, I want to read you, this is kind of the definition with my little tweak on it, again, and, and with no negative intent, I'm not trying to take anything out of control, but this is what my definition of grooming is based off of everything I've read up, how other people have described grooming. Grooming is the act of building a relationship, trust, and emotional connection with a child so that you can shape their sexual, gender, political, and racial worldview. Grooming. Building a relationship with a child so that you can shape their sexual, gender, political, and racial worldview. This is what the parental rights bill in Florida is about. It's trying to stop this grooming process that's going on in our schools. Ron DeSantis is at the forefront, and Florida is at the forefront of this fight. They have passed a parental rights law that Disney, a California-based company, has publicly opposed. Disney and its employees have put Ron DeSantis and Florida and this bill in the crosshairs. They've called it the Don't Say Gay bill. It has nothing to do with saying the word gay. It's about parents being able to control, object to, school systems trying to teach kindergartners through third grade that's four five six and seven year olds about sexuality and gender parents in florida and most right-minded parents they want the right to teach their kids about sexuality and gender the only thing i question there is does it have to be all three that you're grooming for or could it be four political or four uh one of the three means and not all it has to be all three i don't think it has to be all three and i will say this i think he leaves one out and i think the main grooming that's going on even though the kids are oblivious to most to of it turn anyway, them into democrats yeah to turn everyone into a democrat <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty been much my thesis from the yes, beginning yes now there's something i before we play the second part of this where he actually has some examples i want to i want to bring up the origin of the term because there's a bunch of people that say oh there's so many there's a couple of podcasters are now taking credit because two or three years ago they said they brought it into the forefront because it's it a real good counter term to uh, don't say gay yes but it, it, now i'm gonna give it away by te- you know because this is going to be too ridiculous there is a uh an, a research gate article called the evolution of grooming concept concept and term from the January uh, 2018 Journal of Interpersonal Violence, which is an actual Ooh. magazine, mm. by Kenneth V. Lanning, who tried to track it back. And I, I, don't, I was going to do an Ask Adam kind of thing here, but I, you wouldn't be surprised by the, the decade where this, actually, this term actually cropped 
first cropped up. No, no, don't tell me. Yeah, I don't have to tell you. Nope. So uh, let me just read from uh, the abstract. Uh, it goes on. It started off. I'm trying to skip to the part where he gets right into it, which is. Uh, he says the techniques of a child molester employees are the most influenced by the relationship between the offender and the victim, although acquaintance child molesters are sometimes violent to avoid discovery. They tend to control their victims primarily through the seduction or grooming process. I believe the term was first used by a group of law enforcement investigators beginning in the late 1970s to describe aspects of a seduction pattern of offender behavior that was poorly understood by most professionals. The term grooming then evolved, as it has, as language does, and spread into more common usage by law enforcement and other professionals, and then by the media and laypersons, that would be us. Yes. Uh, the term grooming has pretty much supplanted seduction as the term of choice for the behavior pattern. Now, if I, if I may, just for a second, um, probably about three years ago, maybe four, Tommy Robinson, you remember him in the UK, yep. he was making a big stink about Pakistani gangs grooming young girls up in the north of England to become prostitutes. Yeah, that's where we first started hearing it. Yeah, I would term. say that was the beginning for us. But it, but it's a term that's actually been in play for a long time, and he just he just brought it into the forefront. But it's not like it's it's a big secret. So let's play part two of our Jason Whitlock piece. And most right-minded parents, they want the right to teach their kids about sexuality and gender. They want to groom their children in the way that they see fit, not leave it to crazy school teachers. And so I want to play, I want to start here by playing uh, uh, just a collage. Libs of TikTok does an awesome (laughs) job of capturing the sentiment of teachers across the country, very upset that Florida and other places and parents are starting to push back against this grooming process that we we're seeing from school teachers. And so here's a compilation of just teachers on camera filming themselves talking about their desire to groom young people as it relates to gender and sexuality. One of the things that teachers always do at back to school night and meet the teacher and things like that is they like send home this cute little like meet the teacher thing where it has like a little bio about us some of our favorite stuff just so that you know who we are how do i do that next year do i lie and not talk about my marriage do i pretend i'm single Do I invalidate my spouse's stance as a trans femme person? (laughs) Ready. When they've been exposed to information, they're ready to learn about it, whether you think they are or not. And the research says that there is no age too young to talk about pretty much anything. If they know about it, they're ready to learn about it. Right. So there is no, you know, what we think is always age appropriate. It is if they don't know about it. That I don't care what the government tells me to do. I am going to do what I think is best for the health 
and safety. And that includes mental health and safety and emotional health and safety of my kids. I will never let any child come through my classroom feeling unloved or ashamed for who they are. Um, you know, like the LGBT uh, promotional, like uh, this is a safe community kind of stuff, the rainbow stuff all up in my room. And I told them, I'm like, if you look around the room, that should give you an answer to your question. So I did officially tell them. Um, they, of course, went berserk. So instead of teaching social studies today, um, they just asked me a whole bunch of questions about being gay. So I think it was pretty well. All right. By the way, I remember as a former child being in this age group, and I would, didn't care if I I had no clue whether any of these teachers were married or not, and I didn't care. No, and and in fact, uh, the teachers wouldn't talk about it. And if you if you brought that up, you would probably get it. That's uh, that's private. It's none of your business. Or that, or yeah, if you brought it up, and I don't know that anyone ever did. I never, no. never heard. But now we're just but now we're just being bo- now we're it. just being boomers. Yeah, exactly. Now you wanted to say something about this. No, I, I just think it stands alone. I mean, there are some other examples. I may try to get one. I didn't clip it, but okay. Pete Buttigieg's uh, partner was doing. <laughs> oh yes, the, yeah, he was doing pledge he allegiance, pledged allegiance. These little kids pledge allegiance to the gay flag. Yes, yes, he did. Oh please! So this is uh, well planned. There's some real brains behind what is going on here. Um, and I myself did not put it all together. I saw the, what I called the confluence. So the confluence is we had Disney, uh, with the, using the don't say gay bill. And then those people who were saying don't say gay being called groomers. That was kind of the, I thought that was just the, a smart, cute little way to fight back at the don't say gay, which is not what the bill is called or what the bill is about. Uh, then we had 108 people arrested for, uh, uh, well, it's a whole bunch of different charges, but uh, pedophilia and uh, uh, distribution of, uh, um, uh, of pedophile material at Disney, of which uh, many of those uh, employees were Disney employees. Um, <clears throat> then we had Katanji Brown-Jackson. And this is where it was very interesting to see that all of the questioning, all of the questioning that was really, you know, that Fox News was playing, but really, you know, the Democrat-based channels were complaining about, oh, these guys are so obsessed, they're so obsessed, because the questions were about why did you uh, give uh, lenient sentences to pedophiles and sex predators, uh, child sex predators, uh, and even right down to, uh, can you, that was, um, I think it was, was it Collins who said, can you, uh, uh, define a woman? No, I can't define a woman. Collins. No, it wasn't Collins. Was it Murkowski? Who was it? No, no, it was, it was one of the more, uh, uh, conservative, the conservatives. It was neither one of those two women. It was, uh, I can almost think of who it was, but it was neither one of those. I can assure you. Uh, I think uh, it was is the from um, who's in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Who's the ten- Tennessee uh, lady? Blackburn. That's who it was. Yes, it was Marsha Blackburn. Marsha right. Blackburn. But now listen yeah. to what uh, when Marsha Blackburn starts to tie this together 
with the Disney during the uh, uh, during her questioning. Just listen to this. Can you provide a definition? No, well, I'll just go skip to the end. We know that she can't provide it. And I decide, well, so I'm not. The fact that you can't give me a straight answer about something as fundamental as what a woman is underscores the dangers of the kind of progressive education that we are hearing about. See, she throws that in there, which has nothing to do with the confirmation of Katanji Brown-Jackson. So there, this is, this is, there's something going on here. And here's what you didn't hear. And it was Mo who put it all together for me, I have to say. He's, he's more conspiratorial than I am. What you didn't hear anyone ask during the confirmation here of Katanji Brown-Jackson, Justice Jackson, if you're nasty, is about her presiding over the Comet Pizza shooting, commonly known as Pizzagate, back in 2016 when this, when this guy drove up from you know, the South and he brought his AR-15 because he was going to go save the children uh, who were, he, he was convinced that they were in this Comet Pizza parlor and there was a Podesta and the Clintons and everyone's involved in this thing and it was a, it was a huge thing online, of course, all QAnon, obviously. Uh, and that guy, he got four years in jail and three years of psychological um, uh, observation after his four years. He just recently got out of jail, actually, um, uh, for, for his actions. Not a single question was asked about that. It would have been so easy to say, Hey, how come you let the uh, let the pedophiles uh, out after three months? But this guy who thought he was saving children from pedophiles, you threw him in uh, in jail for four years, and he, his life is effectively over. They didn't ask that question, and the reason why is because we now have two parties. You have the pro pedophiles, and now we can add Mitt Romney to that. And who else voted from the from the Republican senators? Murkowski, Murkowski and Collins, and Collins, your friends. Right. Yeah. So, so the, and Marjorie Taylor Greene was here. This is from The View. We were talking about the goop trying to block the confirmation. The yes, GOP. <laughs> <laughs> block it. That's right. I said it. <laughs> <laughs> trying to block the confirmation of Judge Kataji Brown Jackson. And Marjorie Taylor Greene took things a step further, tweeting that Murkowski, Collins, and Romney are pro-pedophile because they voted for Judge Jackson. So this is, this is what Moe's deconstruction, I like it. This is the pizza playbook. In 2016, without a doubt, the uh, before the the election, the Pizzagate, uh, Hillary Clinton, the pedophiles, it hurt her campaign, and it looks like the Republicans are now replaying. The, that's why they didn't meant they didn't want to mention Pizzagate. We don't want, don't want anyone to really immediately go to QAnon. But, oh, pedophiles, groomers. So that's the new word, groomers. And they're, they're going to be talking about everybody being in the grooming camp. And I think they're going to get screwed over, these Democrats, because it's a great strategy. Well, this strategy was revealed itself with the Virginia election yes. of, of, the, of the Republican because the, the guy running as the Democrat literally came out and said, no, the, the public, the schools 
are the ones that should determine the curriculum. We know we're the professionals yep. and yep. you see it, you see tweets. I'm a professional educator. You're not. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> yeah. Shut up, parent. Yep. And this, they, I think to this day, I think you're right, by the way. And I think to this day, the Democrats are still oblivious to the fact that parents don't like this. They don't <laughs> like to be told how to raise their kids yep. by by freaks. And then they show these, when you saw Whit, uh, Jason Whitlock, they brought these people out. And he says, he said, crazy teachers, these teachers, they were great. They had the green hair. They had a nose ring. They had face piercings, everything but a tat that said love and hate on their, on their fingers. <laughs> I mean, they are freaky looking. These are not, this is, this is not, they're not, I don't get what they're thinking. I don't even know if the, if the looks are that important, but it's what they're saying. Oh, you it's, know? I think the looks are incredibly important. Now you would, but I'm just saying, I think the parents are much more concerned about what they're saying and what they want to teach their no, children. And parents that, didn't but I know. Think when you see it coming from a, a, you know, somebody that's well, you know, doesn't look like they're, I mean, that first woman that was on that list, she was adenoidal as though she was coked up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and she had a big nose ring, the kind that goes that the cows wear. And she had some, she, and she just looked like hell. And she's telling everyone how to think and act. It's just, I, I think there's a, I think it's a package. I think it's a gestalt. Yeah. I think the look does make a difference. Oh, I'm not saying it doesn't, but what parents learn during the lockdowns is what was actually going on in the classrooms because of kids getting, uh, yeah, that schooling was the at irony home. Of, of yes, COVID. yes. The great yes. irony of COVID. Yeah. Like, oh, wait a minute. A What's peek going into on the here? the classrooms, which is also is what indicate, which we don't harp on enough. I don't because it's my issue, which is let's put cameras in the classrooms. Yeah. Well, you know, they're just going to glitch. Not gonna well, work. there's that. They but will they just won't glitch. be 100% glitch. So I think we can look forward to a lot more of this uh, groomer strategy playing out. I think the groomer strategy is dynamite. I agree. I think 100% it's a strategy that is going to work. And I think the term has been brought into the fore again, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think it's going to work because, and Disney's not helping their cause. And now Florida, by the way, besides going after the pedophile ring in the Disneyland park, they're going after Disneyland's uh, Disney World. Mm-hmm. They're going after their status in Florida. When Disney World was set up, it was it was a sweet deal between the state of Florida and and the park, and because it was all useless swamp land in the middle of nowhere, Orlando. They were going to take this big swath of land. They were going to build this park, spend, bring a bunch of employment. We had to have a couple of deals, and the deal was you can't have unions. We uh, we don't want to we don't want this we don't want that we don't have we don't want a bunch of we don't want to be affected by the labor laws and we're gonna here's how we're gonna propose doing it instead of being workers we're all gonna be we're all gonna be performers it's gonna be the it's the act we're all actors and actresses and we get paid in the, in those terms we don't get paid like like Florida workers and that's where this whole idea of you know they're you're you know the you're uh, a member of the cast and you see that instead of it says employees only, it says cast members mm-hmm, only mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on the oh, doors. And that's, that's why. Oh, that's all to get around the Florida labor laws. Oh, I thought it was just cutesy. Yeah, it's very cutesy. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you want to not pay anybody, uh, you know, what they're worth. <laughs> words so, matter. <laughs> so they, words matter. The cast members only has a lot to do with this. 
And now Florida, because DeSantos and the Republicans are in charge, are taking a second look at the deal. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, OK, you guys want to fight the way we're doing our legislation. Let's look at the deal again. And, and Disney is, is going to shut up fast. And Disney is a great target because they own ABC, they own um, ESPN, they they own a lot of properties. Uh, Disney just by itself is just so outrageously large and everything oh, that they have. You get a look at, I have one of these fold-out things of Disney's property. Oh mm. my God, they own half the country. And why don't you uh, go uh, look on, I think on YouTube, you know, say um, early Disney movies sexualizing children. If you want to be disgusted and know where Disney comes from. And this goes back even before Shirley Temple. And look at some of the early Shirley Temples. They are sexualizing the children. You've even got little kids like five years old where the the one the the girl is dressed up like a prostitute and the and and the you've seen him and, Hollywood yeah and the kid is dressed up like a like a real uh, like a trick and he's he's handing her money and she's gyrating it's disgusting and that's Disney that is their origins that's where they come from ugh um, the other group that is uh, being exposed and is going to start melting down is Black Lives Matter. They've been abandoned by the Democrat Party. Surprise. Abandoned. And the funniest, this is this is so beautiful. You're not, for someone like myself who loves looking at nonprofits and understanding where the money's going, and, I, and I, I, I've been doing this from day one on our show. Form 990 is is the is like a, it's a beautiful thing what are these guys doing who's on the board how much money is being made who's do- donating you can't always find easily in the form 990 but it's it's a requirement when you have uh, a nonprofit, which means you're not paying taxes you have to report what you're doing you have to have some form of report you don't even have to report your donors if you don't want to under many uh, easy to manipulate circumstances so the uh, executive director of Black Lives Matter, uh, the nonprofit, so even though I call it Inc., is Patrice Cullors. And she's been very controversial, this professionally trained Marxist, as she says herself, uh, because she all of a sudden wound up uh, buying uh, $6 million worth of houses. And so that's always been a question, like, well, where did that money come from? Actually, I think it was her, her wife or her partner, I'm not sure if they're married, uh, who was, uh, it was doing that. And, you know, she, it might have, some might have been from her Netflix deal, but it's very confusing. And uh, you need to f- look at the Form 990. So she was asked about Form 990, which apparently, even though she raised, I think uh, Black Lives Matter raised at least 50, probably more than $100 million from corporations, went into, as far as I know, the, the, the Patrice Cullors-led nonprofit, but when asked just last week about the Form 990... It's a really good question. I think, you know, first of all, number one, I actually did not know what 990s were before all of this happened. It's confusing. I, so part of the opportunity here is to educate yes. our folks. Like, something's being weaponized against us that many people don't even know and honestly don't care about. I didn't know about them until they started asking us for them for COVID relief funds. <laughs> I said, you need my 990. <laughs> You yes. have to call the accountant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the accountant handled that. Like, I, I don't know what that is. Um, it, it is such a trip now to hear the word, the, 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 the term 990s. I'm like, Ugh, it's like triggering. Um, April 15th is next week. Yo. So 
people were asking for this nonprofit's Form 990, which they hadn't filed. So where did the money go? And I didn't know about Form 990. It was triggering to me. And so we need to make sure that... that takes a lot of nerve. Oh, no. No, this is what takes nerve. Yes, there has been so much um, clarity for me, a questioning for me. I don't know if I have clarity or answers yet, but I'm like, wow, it, this doesn't seem like, this doesn't, this doesn't seem safe for us. This 990 structure, this nonprofit system structure, this is like deeply unsafe. Like this is being literally weaponized against us, against the people we work with. I can't tell you how many people are like, am I next? Like, is, are they going to do this to me? Is, is, so there's not a lot of, um, that's like, uh, when you, you know this, you run an organization, like people's morale in an organization is so important. Yes. But if their organization and the people in it are being attacked at, with, at, and scrutinized at everything they do, that leads to, to deep burnout. That leads to deep, like, resistance and, and, and trauma. And so I think that other piece for me around, you know, what I think it's is important for people to understand is, and it's connected to, the, to this question, but there is a, there is a misinformation and disinformation um, uh, effort to not just um, challenge Black Lives Matter and the organization, but it's an experiment. If they win, then it's the next black-led organization. Yes, it is. And then it's the next black-led organization. And it's the next black person who's leading that. And so it's so important that we pay attention to what's happening and we don't allow for... they And they have this so... They know what they're doing, like how to create the infighting, how to create the distrust. We have to stop it. We can't... We have to stop it before they do it. We have to <laughs> shut it down. We have to be showing up against it. And so that has been really important to me too, like taking the time to kind of stand back and watch it happening and being like, oh, this is how this works. Like we, we are literally the experiment right now. Yeah. What a, wow. How about that? Asking for the nonprofits form 990 as required by law, the IRS to report is racist. Yeah. Good and luck. it's not safe. This is mind well, going to end up in jail with her. Mind attitude. boggling. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I don't well, know. How about these DAs are kind of uh, on her side of the Soros yeah, shingle? You know what I'm like, saying? These DAs don't stay around for long. Mm. These guys are getting that rousted. This whole thing is falling apart. Thank goodness. She screwed up. Uh-huh, thank goodness. She's going to lose that house, do you watch? Uh, she's super racist super racist she's glib yeah she's too glib let's go to china china's a big part of the news because of the shanghai thing yes i have some boots on the ground whenever you're ready well let's start with sorry about start talking about the truckers a lot of this stuff's not being discussed uh in the mainstream but you can get it on the new tang dynasty listen to this china uh, United Truckers won. Across China, miles of 18-wheelers and other trucks are lined up along highways, with the truck's doors and windows sealed shut. Some of those vehicles with truckers locked inside. As that's going on, uh, shipping and delivery has ground to a halt. Let's take a closer look. 
fully loaded trucks stretch for miles, stuck in their tracks. Nearly a dozen Chinese provinces have ordered highway closures as a means to combat rising virus spread. But those orders have left truck drivers in a tough situation. Some say they made long-distance drives en route to their destinations, but once they got there, they weren't allowed to get off the highway. Others were even asked to turn around and go back where they came from or were put in quarantine. Videos <laughs> circulating online reveal more about what's going on. One of those videos was shared Sunday to an official account run by the local government of Zhejiang province. It zooms in on one truck driver from Shanghai and how his trip was brought to a sudden halt. Shanghai is currently battling a rising surge of infections. Making contact with people coming from Shanghai has been deemed highly risky and likely to result in getting sick. Because of it, anyone coming from the megacity is subject to strict isolation measures, including not being allowed to get out of their trucks. <laughs> it's been half a month and I haven't gotten out of the truck. No way to change clothes, nothing to eat, but only some instant noodles. I got a box of noodles, now only a few packs left. Hey, we can give you an, a 0.8 ounce of uh, cheese powder. Now, the thing is, that, you know, there's all American uh, news is covering. Now, they're not even doing a good job. Of course of it, not. But they're covering a little bit of Shanghai. and Everyone's locked down in Shanghai. But nobody has discussed these truckers who have been, and they, they show the trucks are sealed. The guys can't get out of the yep. trucks. Yep. This is part two of the trucks. Many of the impacted truckers face another problem, the fact that they've been physically sealed inside their cabins. Wow. That's including the truckers carrying aid shipments. On top of that, many have their contact tracing apps checked regularly and are required to get tested for COVID-19. And there's more. Some of these truckers have been tasked with delivering aid supplies to Shanghai. But after unloading these goods, health workers sealed the trucks and truckers were ordered to isolate in their vehicles. One trucker from Hebei province questioned the measures. He says getting locked inside should only be for those who break laws. I want to ask, what laws do we truckers break? What are we guilty of? Why should you seal us inside? Did the virus come from us truck drivers? Data shows that China has about 20 million truckers responsible for transporting about 80 percent of the country's goods. So far, the strict policies on truckers have paralyzed shipping logistics and contributed to skyrocketing prices. That's phenomenal. I had no idea. I know a lot is going on, but I hadn't heard about the truckers. Yeah, there seems to be some worldwide truckers thing going on. Canada, uh, you know, you hear a little bit, but not as much. And then this, this is ridiculous. 80% of all Canadian goods go through, are routed through a, one truck or another. And they're sealing them in their cabins. You can't, no, you can't get in. You can't buy gas. You can't get out to get gas. You can't do anything. So there's all these trucks backed up, thousands and thousands. You see the video. There's just millions of trucks stopped. I, it's beyond me. It's, that's pretty insane. Okay, you got. I, I mean, I have thoughts on China, but it seems like you're the one that is, uh, has got the goods here, clip-wise. Well, you want to hear another good one that yeah. you haven't heard? Another yeah. one you haven't heard of? Yes, of course. How about the transpet plant tourism? <laughs> okay. 
Okay, let's roll. Some Canadian lawmakers are trying to close a loophole, one that allows citizens to get an illegal organ transplant from China. This after an international tribunal says China harvests organs from prisoners of conscience no. against their will. Here's more. Well, thank you, uh, Madam Speaker. A group of Canadian lawmakers is pushing for a new bill. It's a measure that fights the practice of forced organ harvesting. It would make it a criminal offense for a person to go abroad and receive an organ taken without the consent of the person giving the organ. Controversy surrounding transplant tourism has become a backdrop for the measure. That involves when patients travel to other countries to get organs, oftentimes because it takes too long to find a match in their home country. In the U.S., for example, it takes about 11 months for a liver and more than three years for a kidney. Right now, over a hundred thousand Americans are on the waiting list for an organ transplant. Many patients die waiting. But in China, wait time isn't measured in years, but in days and weeks. In 2020, a hospital in Wuhan found four possible heart matches in just 10 days for a female patient. The country has also been known to source organs within 72 hours, or even 24 hours. This information comes from Chinese media reports. In some cases, Chinese hospitals have also promised re-transplants, meaning if the quality of an organ isn't up to par, the surgery <laughs> would be canceled. Money back. The hospital would schedule another transplant within a week. <laughs> the extremely short wait times have made China one of the top destinations for transplant tourism. But many have been asking a key question. Where do the organs come from? Yeah, the Uyghurs, of course. We all know that answer. Well, it turns out not just the Uyghurs. We get a little more information here than than the the kind of rote stuff the the that we get in the United States about the Uyghurs, Uyghurs, Uyghurs. Listen to part two. Rights activists argue a major source of China's trans. Wait, I know where they come from. Of course, they come from people who.、Uh... Have sex with a prostitute and wake up in a bathtub full of ice with their kidneys、yeah. missing. That's how it happens. Rights、yeah. activists argue a major source of China's transplant organs is through forced organ harvesting, saying China harvests organs from prisoners of conscience by force, sometimes when they're still alive. <laughs> in 2018, an international tribunal in London gave its judgment on allegations of forced organ harvesting. The tribunal is made up of renowned medical and legal experts. It is beyond doubt that forced harvesting of organs happened on a substantial scale and by state-organized or approved organizations and individuals. Those experts say China's main organ supply comes from Falun Gong practitioners, Uyghurs, members of an ethnic、wow. group. Since the allegations have come to light, several countries responded to China's forced organ harvesting. Israel passed a law that prevents insurance reimbursement for illegally obtained organs. Belgium likewise passed a law punishing organ tourism. But in Canada, there is no law that fights organ trafficking, which is why the Canadian lawmakers are pushing for this bill. And and I too would like to take this opportunity to recognize the 
amazing work that was done by the late member of Parliament David Kilgore. On the lawmakers also mentioned the bill is in honor of David Kilgore. He's a former cabinet minister and was among the first that brought the issue to light. Back in 2006, when the forced organ harvesting issue first emerged and saw little media coverage, David Kilgore investigated the practice with another rights lawyer named David Mattis. The two later published an investigative report. We pursued every investigative trail we could find. In the report, you will see that there are 18 different avenues of proof and disproof we considered and evaluated. Our bottom line conclusion, after considering everything as best we could, was that the allegations are true. We believe them to be true. That this、uh, harvesting is indeed happening. This is why I never check the box on my driver's license as an organ donor, because I'm always afraid. You know, I'll just be in a hospital somewhere. Something happened. I'm not dead. And they're like, oh. Take this from this guy. Well, especially if you get to a wreck in China. Well, that would be travesty, of course.、Uh, let's wrap this one last clip. They were nominated for the 2010 Nobel Peace Prize. Kilgore passed away last week of a rare lung disease. He was 81. It's、uh, it's a shame that he didn't leave, live to see its passage,、uh, but I, I certainly hope that this bill will will pass. Following the investigative report, Kilgore kept raising awareness about the issue. Uh, David Mattis and I have been in about 50 countries talking about it, and we will continue to talk about it. As you, all people of goodwill will until it stops, because there's only one country out of, well, I guess, almost 200 countries in the world now that does this on an industrial, state-sponsored level, and that's China. What's more, he wrote a book called "Bloody Harvest: The Killing of Falun Gong for Their Organs." He is the one that blew the doors open on this practice overseas, and I made this thing po- possible.、Uh, David brought this issue to my attention. He brought this issue to many people's attention. He wrote the initial、uh, report along with David Mattis on this issue,、uh, and has just been a tireless champion on it, but on so many other human rights issues as well. As for the bill, it passed the Canadian Senate last year and is now before the Canadian House of Commons. That's pretty gruesome, John. You think? Well, it was the most ghoulish series of clips I've I've picked up for a long time, and I didn't know anything about this. And that was from which publication? This is from NTD. Are they、uh, Falun Gong followers? The New Tang Dynasty. Well, they're the Epoch Times.、Uh, yeah, so Falun Gong、really、people. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you have to consider the source. Well, I'm not going to.、Uh, I'm not going to disagree that it's happening. I'm not going to say it's bullshit. No. But, uh, uh, I have some boots on the ground from Shanghai, which I'd like to、okay. share.、Uh, like、we have several producers there, but the one, my favorite professor, John Jones, has been teaching English, English as a second language uh, throughout uh, China for several years. He lives there with his wife and his child. They've been in Shanghai uh, for uh, certainly throughout COVID.、Um, so he sent me a number of notes throughout the week at my request, actually at the keeper's request. Like, hey, don't we know somebody in Shanghai? What the hell is going on? So he sent me some notes.、Uh, he's American.、Uh, on Monday during the six-hour open time, I was able to buy. So I'm just asking about food and being locked in your house. So they did have earlier in the week a six-hour open time where people were allowed to go.、Uh, he was able to buy 16 apples, 50 eggs, 10 kilos of rice, and five large cucumbers. He also picked up some other essentials: eight packs of wet wipes. The water guy delivered three 18-liter bottles of water, so that will last for about four days. Today, Wednesday, one local market told me she is allowed to make deliveries, but her stock is pretty much depleted. 
We still have enough vegetables and meat and dried fruit, potatoes, pasta, and milk to last 10 days to two weeks if needed, but we should be allowed to have food deliveries from private shops tomorrow, and maybe I can go out by Saturday. The biggest problem is that supply chain has been damaged. On Monday, I saw one local 7-Eleven-type store, Family Mart. Their shelves were empty except for instant meals. Think uh, Deluxe Hot Pockets. Reminder, he says, a huge portion of Chinese millennials, especially in Shanghai, cannot cook. And the professional class are accustomed to getting meals delivered daily. Right now, all the local fast food, steamed buns, Chinese pizza, noodle shops have been shuttered. Sorry about that. Have been shuttered. Uh, and, of course, those guys actually make their money via delivery. So that this, there is shortage. Um, so, yes, he says other parts of Shanghai. He lives uh, uh, on one side of the river, not in the high rises. People are very desperate. The suicides are true says, we are far removed from that population. This is more a family living area, uh, but the mood is, uh, is still very weird. Then he sent me a follow-up. Well, we're back into lockdown. And we'll probably be trapped for four to five days, then have limited travel, no cars or taxis until May 3rd. Um, he says, the population of Shanghai District is about 28 million. The government, through the Center of Western Ecological Security of Lanzhou University, has made the following pronouncements and predictions. Uh, since March, there have been about 205,000 cases with only 7,400 confirmed. The rest are asymptomatic. The peak has crested and will drop off to no new cases over the next three weeks. By May 3rd, the cumulative cases will be around 306,000 with more than 96% being asymptomatic. Hence, from March 1 to May 3rd, about 1.1% of all residents have registered a positive PCR. The total number of confirmed cases, meaning those showing symptoms of a cold, will be less than 11,000, or 0.04% of the population, and there have been zero COVID deaths. And he says, as I noted, uh, in my community, we were supplied with food, quality meat, and milk. Colleagues living in other parts of Shanghai have a completely different story. Their food was held in quarantine for two days to disinfect them. After two days, they were given beef and chicken, which was completely rotten. They were given eggs, all cracked and broken. So he says, what is most interesting is the streets are empty. You're not allowed to drive, but autonomous vehicles delivering food are all over the place. He says, this is like it's the biggest beta test of autonomous driving cars he has ever seen. So why, if these numbers are so low, why is why are they doing this? Is this to purposely disrupt supply chains, which, of course, it's doing a very good job. I have a, another note from a producer who says uh, he hears from his suppliers that not to expect any deliveries from China until June for whatever he's waiting for. But the answer may come – well, the answer that I got, I, I was watching uh, Jack, Jack Persobic on War Room, and he had a very long explanation, which I didn't like, but I liked the premise, so I'm going to tell you what it is. This is the Mandate of Heaven, which I had not heard of before. You ever heard of the Mandate of Heaven? I can't say that I have. From the Wikipedia, the Mandate of Heaven, uh, also known as Heaven's Will, is a Chinese political philosophy that was used in ancient and imperial China to legitimize the rule of the king or emperor of China. According to this doctrine, heaven, which embodies the natural order and the will of the universe, bestows the mandate on just a ruler of China, the son of heaven. 
If a ruler was overthrown, this was interpreted as an indication that the ruler was unworthy and had lost the mandate. So the Chinese, who, of course, in the past 30 years have been lifted out of rice fields into smartphones and self-driving cars and beautiful, beautifully constructed cities, they don't really know any better. They don't understand freedom of speech or freedom of movement. They're just happy. So they'll take whatever they get. And because this, quote unquote, emperor has the mandate of heaven, they're fine with him. And uh, I think this year, Xi Jinping will be going to his third term, which uh, was not possible previous to him changing that to being possible. But here it comes. And the last time this, uh, uh, the mandate of heaven was used to overthrow a, uh, a leader or emperor, I think was in 1906, or 19, maybe 1919. Um, here it is. If a ru- um, it is also common belief that natural disasters such as famine and flood were divine retributions bearing signs of heaven's displeasure with the ruler, so there would often be revolts following major disasters as the people saw these calamities as signs that the mandate of heaven had been withdrawn. And as I was listening to Jack Brusobic, who lived in, uh, uh, in Shanghai for two years, speaks fluent Mandarin, I didn't know this, he said this is the reason that they're going so hard and so maniacal by locking people down because already the mandate of heaven may be on shaky ground because the vaccines clearly didn't work. So, they, so Xi Jinping cannot be seen as not having complete control over the situation. And that, he says, is why this is taking place. I like it. That's a good theory. I'd never heard of this, and maybe uh, some of our China experts can, uh, can let us know. But this, it, it, it's even this, the mandate of heaven does not require a legitimate ruler to be of no, noble birth, um, depending on how well the person can rule. Chinese dynasties, such as the Han and Ming, were founded by men of common origins, but they were seen as having succeeded because they gained the mandate of heaven. Intrinsic to the concept of the mandate of heaven is the right of rebellion against an unjust ruler. So if this is true, and this is still a thing in China, it makes sense then to me. But I don't, th- I don't think they can contain this. If, if people are jumping out of windows and dying and screaming out of apartments in the middle of the night, I think the mandate of heaven may be revoked. Well, it may be in play to get rid of this guy, too. That's also possible. Thesis, by the same thesis. That's also possible. Well, I do have a couple of supply chain clips if you want to play yes, those. Yes, I do. But before we do that, I want to play this because it says the word interesting. This is an interesting clip about the CCP and and computers. I think. Twelve Chinese companies are joining the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, or SEC's provincial list. According to the SEC's official release Tuesday, the listed companies include Sohu, China's most popular search engine provider, and Legend Biotech, among others. The full list of companies is identified under the U.S.'s Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act, or HFCAA. They have 15 business days to file a dispute. This is the fourth batch added to the list since March. According to HFCAA, companies on the list must disclose information, as required by the SEC, for three years in a row. If not, they'll be required to delist from the U.S. market. The final amendments of HFCAA specify disclosure requirements relating to the Chinese Communist Party. 
saying the company must disclose if any CCP members are also board members for the companies and clarify whether the company's articles of incorporation contain charters linked to the Chinese Communist Party. My eyes glazed over. What was that about? We're cracking down on the Chinese companies that are being traded in this country. Okay. In very strong, this is not no minor thing. The the foreign, uh, the foreign, I forget the FCC. What it, what it stands S-E- for? S-E- SEC. Well, the S no the the name of the thing is the F H F C C. Holding foreign companies accountable act, something mm. like that, mm. where they can't be just a bunch of bullshit con- right, companies right. trading here, it, it run by the Chinese government. We're just not going to put up with it right. anymore for some reason, right? Uh, okay, let's go to supply chain. Sorry, supply chain one. Oop, hold on a second. Supply chain. We're just supply chain. I got Subway. Uh, that's interesting. China and supply chain. Oh, okay. That helps. <laughs> that helps. With areas of China still under lockdown, many goods are stuck inside the country, and that could become a big problem for the global supply chain. That's according to IMA Asia's managing director, Richard Martin. IMA Asia is a peer group forum for Asia-based CEOs and other executives. Martin says many products made around the globe contain parts from China, adding that the world is about to see a logistics snarl that'll dwarf any slowdowns in 2020. Martin made the comments while speaking with CNBC Tuesday. And during that interview, he noted that China accounts for 20% of global demand, but that its role in supply chains is much bigger. No kidding. Yes, it's a lot more than 20%. 20% of global demand from China. Yeah. The global supply is probably more like 80 So let's listen to the second half of this clip. For weeks, China has been battling rising outbreaks of the CCP virus, which causes COVID-19. The chief economist from financial services company Nomura Holdings gave more details. Referring to his company's survey of the situation, he explained China's lockdowns cover around 40 percent of its GDP. Of the region's lockdown, Shanghai is taking the brunt, saddled with strict closure orders from authorities. Other areas struggling under that pressure include a northern province of Jiling and southern Guangzhou. Both areas are hubs for factories and other manufacturing. China has adopted a strict zero COVID-19 policy since the start of the pandemic. It seeks to completely eliminate the virus from China, rather than learning to control and live with it in low numbers, like most other nations. To achieve that goal, Chinese authorities have shuttered factories and businesses, while forcing residents to stay at home for weeks or even months at a time. IMA Asia's Martin described it as quite unlikely that Xi Jinping will back off the policy. He says that's because the strategy has virtually become a hallmark of the current administration. There you go. Mandate of heaven. That's what it looks protecting like. It, the, protecting it. The, yeah. This China, this is the China BS COVID finale clip. Beijing is still holding strong to its zero COVID-19 policy, despite the recent hardship the strategy has posed in several cities. During a press conference Tuesday, a Chinese foreign ministry spokesperson insisted the protocols are scientific, consistent with the reality of China's situation and the World Health Organization's guiding principles. He said the restrictions have effectively protected the life and health of Chinese and foreign nationals living in China and made important contributions to the global fight against the pandemic. 
adding that all control measures come at a price. The remarks came as a response to the European Union Chamber of Commerce in China. The association sent a letter to Chinese Vice Premier Hu Chunhua dated Friday, detailing how lockdowns have caused significant disruptions for many companies. The letter suggested Omicron is posing new challenges that seemingly cannot be overcome by applying the old toolkit. The letter also mentioned that the costs of implementing the policy are rapidly mounting and noted the practice is eroding foreign investors' confidence in the Chinese market. I love the content of these of these reports. It's so boring the way they deliver them, though. It's horrible. Yeah, unfortunately, you have to. That's what. Well, I don't. I try to keep them short. No, I know. I know. I'm not. I'm not blaming you. It's like, jeez, no wonder this that has no play. No one cares. This is boring. Well, that, that I'm telling you, you could jack up and jazz up the uh, foreign transplant tourism uh, story and have a lot of fun with it if you had any guts. But the mainstream media won't even discuss it. No. Ne- I've no. never heard of it. No. Uh, and you can also talk about the truckers being locked in and welded in their own vehicles and they can't move and you That's wonder why the whole one. world's falling That's apart. That's a good one. Nobody's mentioned that. We don't want to talk about truckers. No. Uh, I got a no. couple more. There's a down, this China financials down bad market is probably worth listening to. It's short. At the same time, foreign money is fleeing China at a never-before-seen rate. The trend began with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. According to financial newspaper Nikkei Asia, foreign investors sold more than $6 billion in Chinese stocks and bonds in the first three months of this year, reaching one of the highest figures ever recorded. Some experts say it's partly due to investors' concerns that if Beijing helps Moscow, the U.S. will sanction Chinese companies too. But even before that, foreign investors were already suffering, largely because of Beijing's clampdown on major Chinese companies across various sectors in recent years. That's on top of Washington's threat to delist Chinese companies from the U.S. market. Okay, so these clips that you're playing here, just na- it's a nail in the coffin for me. They are, they are completing the Great Reset, which you can only do after you destroy something. And this is destruction. And China's clearly in on it. It's destruction. We're not going to have enough food. It's the markets, the, the financial markets are all screwed up. And I'm sure they, they, they love being able to, you know, do stuff to stop their hyperinflation from happening. We've got super big inflation. You know, we've kicked Russia off of SWIFT. You can't tell me who's going to put this back together again. A bunch of globalists. Well, the globalists are the ones that are taking tearing it apart. Yes, this is like violating all their precepts. Yep. All the global. Oh, we're going to have one big happy family. You're going to be trading left and right and left and right, and you can don't worry about it. You know, start your dependency right now. Yep. Depend on China yep. for this. Depend on China for that. And everybody who's followed any of these rules has been screwed. Yep. I don't know what to make of it. Let's do a quick bit of COVID because there is news that we need to discuss. And it's uh, it's annoying, annoying news. Um, you know, it looks like we're going back into masking. Looks like we're going back. And I, I did a, a mainstream media masking. Boosters. Social distancing. It's all coming back because of, well, gee, I don't know. It's because it's COVID, it's uh, cases. We have to do something. (laughs) 
<laughs> and uh, and so that's back in the uh, back in the conversation. And this is the most annoying one. Tonight, the CDC extending the mask mandate on public transit until at least May 3rd while it tracks a rise in COVID cases. But that move leaving some air travelers frustrated. Enough already. Let's just get on with life. At this point, we're learning to live with it. So just put it behind us. Uh, That's enough of the clip. You get the idea. It was supposed to end April 18th. It's now being extended into the first week of May. The reason is probably because there's a debate right now in Congress over the national no-fly list. You know, we're we're trying to find people who are Republicans who have been rowdy on planes because of mask uh, mandates, and uh, they want to throw people on a no-fly list internally. So we had to—it's kind of weird to— Without due process. Of course. It's kind of weird to have a no-fly list if there's no uh, mask mandate. So we probably had to extend that for that reason. I'm just guessing. Um, let's continue to make sure we, we alert everybody that uh, those who are vaccine-hesitant or anti-vaxxers or just don't want the vaccine in their life well, there's a there's a study done on you. A study out of Duke is shedding light on why some people are more vaccine resistant than others. The researchers used a database that's been tracking 1,000 people born in 1972 and 1973 in New Zealand. Since childhood, their social, psychological, and health factors were measured. Researchers found participants who are now vaccine resistant suffered abuse, neglect, threats, and deprivation at an early age. <laughs> As a result, they mistrust adults, family, friends, co-workers, and authority figures. The pandemic may have triggered a fight to survive centered on the self rather than institutions. Can you believe this? You selfish, selfish <laughs> bastard. I wondered why you never got the shot. <laughs> because I was abused. Beat up? I'm, an, I'm a victim. I'm a victim, an abuse victim. I mean, that's okay. That's what it is. Uh, testing, I think we should uh, keep our eye on the ball because there's something new coming down the pike. <coughs> a cough contains more information than you'd think. What we've found in our research is that cough sounds provide us information about what's going oh. on inside your lungs. And that's led to the creation of Rezap. We start off by asking a date of birth. It claims to be able to pick up whether someone has COVID-19 by assessing five coughs into Old the story. phone. We're at 92%. I'm sorry? It's an old story. No, it's not an it's, old story. No, I know. It doesn't mean that it's not new again. There's but new- this story, you just don't remember it. No, no, I, I do, do. But the story is not just about the coughing. Okay, but I just want to say that they brought they brought this this trope I back. Remember. I remember. Yeah. But they brought it back with a price tag. Into the phone. Oh, well, there you go. 92% sensitivity. So that means that we identify 92% of people who have COVID just through their cough sounds. Bullshit. The app has sparked worldwide interest, with Pfizer now wanting to buy no, the Brisbane no. startup for $100 million. We're really excited about the opportunity. Still think it's bullshit? Pfizer represents. In a statement, Pfizer said the acquisition adds to its growing digital capabilities and will bolster its efforts to pave a new era for digital health. We developed a whole swathe of algorithms to see how well each one would detect the COVID signature that we're looking for, which is present in the coughs of people with COVID. 28-year-old Jack Hansen was part of the team that cracked the algorithm that allowed the app to work. He's pleasantly shocked by the Pfizer deal. That was past any of my expectations. I I expected at most a collaboration or some investment in our company, but not a... 
not a buyout. That was that's an amazing an amazing outcome. The company says negative results are ninety nine percent accurate, but a positive result should be confirmed with a PCR or rapid antigen test. Oh. And if you don't have any symptoms, the cough test is only fifty percent accurate. So there's still a lot to do before smartphones become a testing device. The company needs to conduct more clinical trials before it can get approval from the regulator. We're engaging with the regulatory bodies to make sure that we build the evidence that they require to get approval sometime in the future. Louisa Rebgetz, ABC (coughs) News, Brisbane. And I don't think this will actually be approved. Do I still think it's bullshit? I know it's bullshit now. Of course, of course. And by the way, how do you crack an algorithm? <laughs> That's the a, algorithm. It's such a bullcrap report. But I mean, if, he, if he developed an algorithm, mm-hmm. that's different than cracking an algorithm. Yeah, but that gives a that they makes it sound like a big about. scientific breakthrough. But this is not going to be used for COVID. Nope. This is going to be used for the next new thing that we're all going to be afraid of. The last time a deadly new bird flu showed up here yeah. seven years ago, it really hit poultry farms. In 2014, 2015, we saw, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 million domestic poultry affected. Brian Richards says that virus didn't infect many wild birds. This time, it's different. We've got wild bird detections in 32 states. Richards is the Emerging Disease Coordinator at the U.S. Geological Survey's National Wildlife Health Center. He says this virus came across the Atlantic a few months ago, probably carried by migratory birds. It can kill some waterfowl, but I think there's pretty clear evidence that some waterfowl likely are not affected by it, Mm. and therefore they're perfect transport mechanisms for taking it very long distances. Since this virus arrived, it's killed birds that belong to more than 40 species, mostly ducks and geese, but also scavengers like black vultures and bald eagles that presumably eat the carcasses of birds killed by the virus. Ron Fouché is a flu expert at Erasmus Medical Center in the Netherlands. There's a chance that the virus will stick around. And this will become a long-term problem. Fouché says there's only been one known human infection, a farmer in the United Kingdom who lived in close quarters with ducks that got this flu. That person tested positive but didn't have any symptoms. We haven't seen any other farmers or veterinarians or other people being infected. Still, since this bird flu arrived in the United States, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has been keeping a close watch. Todd Davis works on animal-to-human diseases at the agency. He says bird flu viruses related to this one have sickened and even killed people during past outbreaks in other countries. That's why public health officials here have been monitoring the health of more than 500 people in 25 states who've had contact with sick or dead birds. Because human have no prior immunity to these viruses typically. If they were to be infected and spread the virus to other humans, then we could have another pandemic virus on our hands. So that's our primary concern. Besides testing any people who show flu-like symptoms, they're also closely tracking genetic changes in the virus, looking for anything that would suggest it might become more of a threat to people. Don't worry, you know, it will. You might be right about the... the the thing being used is this stupid algorithm being used to catch the people with bird flu when they cough. Because I, but you can copy a bird flu cough. I, I know exactly how to 
And and so you can fake it, and if you wanted to get out of work or something, mm-hmm. you can actually make a cough. I can I can cough, cough, do a bird flu cough. Yeah, but you you might get black bag thrown over your head and thrown into a re-education center somewhere. So you may not want to be doing that. Well, I it just I, I I would do it just to see make sure that the machine caught it. Well, the result of this is that chickens and turkeys are being uh, culled. That's a fancy word for killed around uh, the country. Without even testing, without up. even testing, USDA. Just get rid of them. We got to get the chicken yep. price yep. Up, yep. up to four dollars a pound. And one of our producers is uh, on a team that does some of this work. Do you know how they do this with the chickens and turkeys? I had no idea. They they you think like do they gas them? No, <clears throat> they go into the, the 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 barn or the whatever the huge uh, uh, building is, and they start spraying foam. And they just spray the foam until all the chickens or turkeys are just covered, and then they f- keep filling it up, filling it up halfway. Yeah, it's the like structure. a Miami nightclub. <laughs> yes, only uh, they suffocate, and then of course the uh, the foam eventually dissipates, turns back into water, and all the turkeys are dead, and there, and then you can just pick them all up. And uh, that sounds uh, nothing but humane. So uh, yes, the price of chicken and turkey going up, or dare I say, the Great Reset once again. So now the big story, which I've left until now, because it's one of those stories that uh, it would be great to believe it, but I'm, I just have a, it seems like a big hype, but ev- I, got, I got emails about this for the past three days. And this is about do- from Dr. Brian Artis, who has done a documentary with Stu Peterson, not my favorite host. I find him way too hypey and angry and I don't know, Stu Peterson show. It's just not not my kind of guy. Uh, they did a documentary. It's in the water! And so the premise is, well, first, um, we heard from him uh, and the U.S. Senate testifying about remdesivir. Uh, Dr. Brian Artis, I think he's a, he may be a chiropractor, but he's definitely read the research. And we know remdesivir kills people. And so he made this point. Uh, at a recent hearing. Our next panelist is uh, Dr. Brian Artis. Thank you for being here. He's treated over 10,000 patients from around the world, and he will explain the impact of current medical protocols on our healthcare system. Doctor, thank you. The cover-up and corruption is insane. Anthony Fauci is one of the biggest liars in the planet, and I didn't know who he was. May 2020, he declared in a memo on NIH.gov that there is one drug and one drug only that we're going to allow all hospitalized Americans to be treated with for COVID-19. This one drug in May of 2020, he said there was two studies that proved it safe and effective against one, the Ebola virus in Africa in a study a year earlier, and then in a second study that ran from January to March of 2020. And it was actually conducted by the maker of remdesivir called Gilead. They gave that drug to Ebola patients. Anthony Fauci was the only one that funded the entire study in Africa. So he knew this data. They found that it was the only drug in that one-year study that had an over 50% death rate of all the innocent Africans they gave that drug to in that experimental trial. The safety board for the trial pulled remdesivir from the study in August of 2019, halfway through that study, and said not another African can get this drug. It's too deadly and too ineffective is what they said. Anthony Fauci declared in May of 2020 that in that Ebola trial, it was found to be the most safe and effective drug against the Ebola virus. That's what he said. 
I knew right away from the Gilead study conducted two months earlier that the entire kidney failure, multiple organ failure, was a result of remdesivir and had nothing to do with the virus. And that is absolutely true. I said in May of 2020, went to the media, I said everyone needs to be warned that Anthony Fauci has declared a drug to be the solution to a pandemic for all innocent Americans. He is going to kill hundreds of thousands, if not millions of innocent Americans with this drug. So you have kidney failure, liver failure, now heart failure being caused by remdesivir, published to do so. Guess what the only authorized drug to treat COVID-19 children is now? In hospitals and outside. Remdesivir. So what he's saying here checks out. The data on remdesivir of people dying is uh, consistent with what he's saying. I'm, uh, the Ebola trials, that's true. I completely believe that this was used to kill old people, maybe young people as well. It certainly had people's organs shut down. This is not news to us. But what is news, and this is the focus of his documentary that he did with Stu, Stu, the Peter, what is his name? Yeah. Stu Peter, Stu, Stu Show, whatever his name is, uh, is that the COVID-19 virus is actually snake venom that... Uh, has been put into water or will be put into water now, but there are molecules and genetic sequences of snake venom in COVID-19 and that remdesivir is using the same snake venom only in larger quantities to finish the job. And that they're going to put this in the water and people are losing their shit over this. And it may come from this study from the University of Arizona which sheds a little more normal light on what may be happening. Losing a battle with COVID-19. It's like having rattlesnake venom running through your body. At least that's what researchers are telling us. We found evidence that there was an enzyme, a snake-like enzyme in the blood of people who were dying in extraordinarily high levels. Scientists from the University of Arizona working on this study for the past year and a half, recently publishing it in the Journal of Clinical Investigation. The snake-like enzyme found in healthy people at low levels to prevent bacterial infections. But in severe cases of COVID-19, it's doing the opposite. And these high levels of this enzyme are looking at those tissues in the organs and saying, you look like a bacteria, let's shred your membranes, let's put these organs out of their misery. And we're told it may be what's driving COVID-19 deaths. Dr. Floyd Chilton, senior author on the study, saying what's even more remarkable is where we can go from here in the fight against this pandemic. And we come up with specific therapeutics that will not care which variant is coming towards it. Researchers explain that current clinical trials on snake bites are helping in those efforts. They can possibly repurpose some of the treatments being tested. This could one day result in a viable option other than vaccines to prevent death in severe patients. That allows us to take a precision medicine approach to the disease. We can go into clinical trials and choose the people who are at risk of this mechanism. Their hope regarding the next step is an international multi-center clinical trial. They're working with global organizations to see how they can make that possible. 
has taken a few swipes at me already. We asked a rattlesnake expert for his take on this. Something that is almost as universally loathed as rattlesnakes, it seems fitting and interesting uh, and ironic that the venom that they have and rattlesnakes might um, be a key to getting out of this whole situation. I'm Ashley Paredes, ABC 15, Arizona. So I don't know. Theremin. It's not my theory. I don't want to theremin myself on this because well, you're the one that said they're going to drop it in the water. No, no, that is off. what that is what uh, Doctor Artis is saying, not me. That's, these guys are screwy. That's the documentary. Is uh, and yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Well, you just uh, you you finally you sold me from not now. I don't have to see the documentary because that's nuts. Yeah, I, I mean, how can a, a, a a virus that had respiratory repercussions, all of a sudden now it's snake venom. And by the way, I think the vaccines, some vaccines do use some snake venom. Not that I know of. Yeah, yeah, no, I've been researching this. Turns out sometimes they do. I've actually, well, I've actually had some snake venom. Well, I'm sure you have. No, seriously, in Thailand. Oh, well, just as a drink? Yes, it's a drink. It's a very disgusting story, which I will share. I was doing a documentary in Thailand of Bangkok, Chiang Mai, and Shanghai. And we had to go to, you know, special... It's, it was a documentary, so you go to all these places. That, oh, this look how crazy this is. Oh, this is cool. Oh, here's the long necks. That was my favorite. Oh, let's go to the long necks. It's, it's very secretive, except for the big sign that says long necks this way. Um, and then you have to drink the blood of the cobra. And so what they do is they first, they, uh, they uh, get the cobra really pissed. It's a very sad story. They get the cobra pissed off with a stick. Then they, uh, they uh, milk his, uh, his venom, put a little bit on the side of a glass. Then they cut him open while he's alive, bleed him into the glass, throw some alcohol in, and you're supposed to drink it. You'll have hard-ons for the rest of your life. And so your uh, lips. This is a practice. This is a practice that was uh, taken yeah. to the point where they actually named the street Snake Alley uh, in Taiwan, in mm-hmm. Taipei. Mm-hmm. And you'd go there and visit. I never would partake in this dumb, but I take people there because I went to Taipei enough that I would. I knew where it was. We'd take some people and we'd show them. You take. Well, I haven't heard about Snake Alley. Let's go to Snake Alley. And you go there and you see people doing it. They gut the snake and they squeeze and they. They get to the head part and then they push down so all his guts and his blood it's comes hor- into his glass. It's horrible. It's horrible. It's gr- gruesome and it's greenish and it's everything else. And they put some 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 yam of uh, alcohol, one of those those high alcohol yep. drinks they drink yep. in yep. Asia. Clear, completely clear. And then the clear. guy downs it. And, he, and I asked about this some some of the people. Who's the most, who comes here the most and what's supposed to give you this infinite hard on? Who's who's the customer for these things, I say? <laughs> And the guy says, oh, Japanese, Japanese just pour into the snake yes. alley and they go in there for that. Well, the point is that... Apparently, you're the other customer. Well, when you drink it, you can actually feel the venom kind of stinging a little bit on your lips. And uh, yes, I can attest it works. I'm going to show my support by donating to No Agenda. Imagine all the people who could do that. Oh, yeah, that'd be fab. Yeah, on No Agenda. Could have punched up the punchline. I know I could have. One beat. No, I just, it, I just wanted to get, just get past it. Yeah. Well, I had this set up earlier where I was going to do the, the cough <laughs> with the chicken flu, and you wouldn't let me do it. What do you mean? 
mean? It was a softball for, well, what does it sound like? And I figured I'll do this, I'll do this bit and we'll go cut right into the donations. And no, no. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were setting up a bit. I almost did it twice. I didn't hear. I was all, I was, my head was in the Cobra. Uh, onward Apologies. with Apologies. Apologies. That was not on purpose. Apologies. I just didn't uh, catch it. Kurt Cobal is at the top of the list, the short list again. Uh, starts with 99.99 in Waisata, Minnesota. He's got a birthday. So, and go right to Kevin McLaughlin, the Duke of Luna, America, lover of America and boobs. Boobs. Comes in with the 8008 from Concord, North Carolina. Edgar Decker in Scottsdale, Arizona, 80. Rob Tyson in Leiden. Uh, Netherlands, 70. Sir Infinitus in Holly Springs, North Carolina, another North Carolinian, uh, 70. Michael Zavala in Concord, California, 6666. Sarah Clark in Adel, Iowa. Um, by the way, Michael says he went to the Concord meetup to get this is a donation. Sarah Clark in Adel, Iowa, or Adel, Adel, I'm not sure, uh, 5870. Christopher Dechter. Uh, hold, hold on a second. Just for Sarah Clark, needs a, de- a deducing. Says, in the morning, first donation. No meetups in Iowa, so I created one for the end of April with my bestie. Recently divorced, and I need new friends. Haven't missed the show since my friend Eris hit me in the mouth. And uh, <laughs> You've been deduced. Well, if you want to get a meetup going in Iowa, you get plenty of men to choose from. <laughs> Christopher Dechter, 5678. Alex Schmitz in Blaine, Minnesota, 5555. Jeffrey Gibbs, 5510 in Pengley, Minnesota. Nuts. Jane Peterson in Manti, Utah. Freddie V, another, these are a lot of birthdays here. Alex and Jeffrey and Freddie V in San Antonio, Texas, 5413. Uh, and you want to read this one because it's yes. igniting. Yes, and sir. It's from Sir Ernesto, Ernesto Grande. Yes, he says, please credit this switcheroo donation to my wife, Lisa. So that will be a switcheroo here. Uh, I reached baronet status in September 2021, and rather than accept that upgrade, I would like to perform a switcheroo and grant her the status of dame. Okay. Uh, Please dame her as Lady Lisa, seeker of seashells, and give her some Riesling and cheddar popcorn at the round table. (laughs) Quite the combo. Additionally, please wish her a happy birthday as I have hopefully timed this right for her birthday on Thursday, April 14th. She is the best thing that ever happened to me, faux show. Ah, so romantic, LGY. Please let me know if you have any issues or questions. We got tons of issues, but not on this particular request. Thank you for your courage, such and so forth. Sir Ernesto Grande, Rutland, Massachusetts. And she's on the list, and I have the Riesling and Cheddar Popcorn at the ready. Alexander Beatty in Houston, Texas, 5001. And the following people are $50 donors, name and location, starting in Liberal, Kansas with Jonathan Ferris. Kevin Dills in Huntersville, North Carolina, uh, 50. These are all 50s. Philip Kim in San Francisco. Brian Henderson in Indianapolis, Indiana. Michael Wendell in Matawan, Matawan, New Jersey. Tony Smith in Fort Worth, Texas. George Wushet. Sir George in Parts Unknown. Brendan Savoy in Port Orchard, Washington, another Sir. Fabio Fabio Elvez in Monk's Corner, South Carolina. Daryl DeVille in Newton, Mississippi. Dame Patricia Worthington in Miami, Florida. Jim Tucker in National Park, New Jersey. And last but not least, Gavin McGoldrick 
in San Francisco, California. And there's somebody that was down in the 30s or something that's going to be a night. Yes, I have I the note. I have the note here. Yeah, and I want to mention something here before we read this. He goes on and makes a big deal about, look, I'm getting, you know, you read these notes because I'm being knighted. Uh, so I'm only going to give 30. We normally don't check for these down that low. Most people are getting their notes right in the 50s. I mean, you're taking a big risk, it seems to me, when you donate two bucks. And it just so happens to put you over the top for uh, uh, for knighthood and expect us to read the note down at the bottom of the spreadsheet, which we don't we normally don't look at. Sometimes we don't even get uh, we shouldn't even get this part of the spreadsheet. What's the point? Well, here's the thing that I don't understand. Why is he not on the night list? <laughs> That's funny. Because well, because this is a part. This is part of the problem. Because no, these things- no, no, no. Because it's, here's what he did. Now I understand. Uh, this is Sir J.C. the Smith. He is a knight. Oh. And what he says is, I made a donation for $33.33 today. It's all I can give currently, but as a knight, I'm invoking my right to be heard before the round table. That's how this works, right? Well, yes. When you, yeah. need, when you need a karma for somebody, or you, you, but a, a long note? Somebody's dying. Yeah. We break for dead people, uh, so we will make this exception, but this is not how it's supposed to work. My soon-to-be ex-wife cheated and got pregnant by her one-night stand. See, this is why we need to read the note. After I found out, my friends in Seattle offered to put me up for a while while I figured things out. However, they live in Seattle and currently live in Lake uh, Havasu City, Arizona. Since I work for a big retail pharmacy, I decided to take a shot and apply for a pharmacy tech position up in Seattle. At the same time, I applied for the cheapest apartment I could find listed. I told myself of these things, uh, if the, I told myself of these things through, I guess, come through. Uh, it's a sign, and I would donate what I could. Well, the universe heard me, and I got the job and the apartment a week later. I am currently packing all my stuff up and heading north in two weeks. Karma did its thing. I'm glad to hear that. And we're going to give you an extra karma for your, the big changes in your life. You've got karma. I, too, thought it was a knighting, but now that I read it, I see what's going on. Uh, yes, there are circumstances where we break for knights, but it is not necessarily true that we can just do messages that all the time. That wasn't one of them. <laughs> that wasn't one. But I, I feel for you with the story, and I'm glad that you got your apartment and, uh, and your job. Now, a thanks to these uh, producers, also those who came in under $50 for reasons of anonymity, which is fun because I see a $49.99 someone asking for a jobs karma it's not how it works you can't be anonymous and ask for jobs karma Woo! if you'd like to learn exactly how it works there's a page that explains it dvorak.org slash n a thank you all very much for supporting the best podcast in the universe value for value here's a karma for everybody you've got <laughs> karma Felicity Orwin says happy birthday to her husband, Ryan M. Celebrates on the 19th. Jeff Gibbs, his brother, Rick Gibbs, uh, celebrated on the 10th, so that's belated. Freddie V, his wife, Samantha Gonzalez, celebrated her birthday yesterday. Sir A.J. Reistot, the Viscount of Idaho, his, birther, uh, his daughter, Katie, celebrated on April 2nd. And his son, Nate's birthday is today. Happy birthday, Nate. Sir Ernesto Grande, happy birthday to his wife, Lisa. Today, as you heard, Robert Ludwig, 48 tomorrow. EJ will be 33 tomorrow. And Court Court. 
Snowball will be celebrating on the 15th as well. And Alex Schmidt finally says happy birthday to his mother, Lynn Wigert. Happy birthday for everybody here at the best podcast in the universe. Titles we have not. We do have our one daming. That, of course, was uh, from uh, Sir Ernesto to his wife. So we'll get uh, our dame blades out. The same size as the knife blades, actually. Here we go. Lisa, step on up. Thanks to your husband. But I'm sure you have a lot to do with it as well. Congratulations. You were here at the round table about to be damed with the uh, all the rest of our dames and knights. So I'm very, very proud to do that. And I pronounce the KV as Lady Lisa, seeker of seashells. We got hookers and blow, rent boys and Chardonnay for you. But maybe you want the Riesling and cheddar popcorn. If not, we got some other things like beer and blunts, cowgirls and coffee varnish, Ruben S. Women and Rosé, geishas and sake, vodka and vanilla, bong hits and bourbon, sparkling cider and escorts, ginger ale and gerbils. Oh, no, wait. Mutton and meat. Everybody loves it. Go to noagendanation.com slash rings. Uh, uh, make sure that you give us your information, like your ring size and where we can send everything off to you so that you can uh, proudly display your dame ring which is a signet ring we give you the uh, the wax to seal your important correspondence with and a certificate of authenticity. And thank you and thank you to your husband for supporting the No Agenda Show, episode 1442. No Agenda Meetups. Indeed, the party. Lots of parties being held with the No Agenda Meetups, noagendameetups.com. This is where producers, it's all producer-organized, get together and uh, just hang out. And feel good about being part of a community, which uh, which it truly is. Here is uh, a report from, I believe this is Indiana. ITM, John and Adam, thank you for your courage. This is Cindy from Carmel. Hi, this is Syrup of the Maple. And I read the Miller Report last night and apparently COVID is over. This is Matt Sams from New Palestine, Indiana. In the morning. In the morning, Drew Williams from Carmel. Hey, John and Adam, this is Emily asking, how many boosters does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll Pop? <laughs> Shit, wait, my simulation's breaking. Crap. In the morning, John and Adam, this is Nick from Indianapolis. We're going to join a biker gang. Brandon OG here in the morning. Nathan from Indianapolis in the morning. Brittany Baxter here, John C. Fangirl, Dame of the Amazeballs. Happy 70th birthday, John. Hi, this is Josh Springer in Indianapolis, boyfriend of Dame of the Amazeballs. John, I had to hide the John head from the meetups from her. I can't keep her off the thing. <laughs> this is Ted from Indianapolis, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Sir Father, Knight of the Circle City. Hey, John, stay safe. <laughs> Gary from Greenwood. Doreen from Indy. Hello. John Adam, Bruce from Indy. In the morning, Dame Swanee. And here's the keeper of Dame Swanee, Sir Benny. This is Maria. Hello from Indianapolis. And this is Mark. It's really nice to be in a place where everybody thinks the same. Thank you for your courage. Adios, mofos. <laughs> Good group there in Indianapolis, Kansas City. The Kansas City No Agenda meetup was lit and windy. Sadly, no Sir Spencer this time. He was at the hospital collecting masks or something. But the attendance was great, and the barbecue was even better. In all, the producers on hand went to 11, and the kids, well, they went wherever they felt like going. This is Zach from Olathe, Kansas, in the morning. Dane Blackhammer here, organizing the meetups, chasing human resources, and trying to keep Cersei Mike in line. This is Matt Leroy, Southeast Kansas, in the morning. 
Hey, this is David from Omaha, and I drove down with my wife and five human resources. And I hit Kyle in the mouth, so you'll have to excuse him for his introduction. This is Kyle from Omaha. This trip was a fight between Biden's gas prices and barbecue sauce. This is Mark 5723-1, a.k.a. Lee, coming from the City of Fountains. If y'all didn't know that. This is Liz, and like John C., I have to say, life is a scam. <laughs> In a moment. And from Kansas City, we move over to um, Boise, Idaho. Hello, John and Adam, here with the first ever Spooks Anonymous meetup here in Boise, Idaho. We had a great turnout today. We had 11 people come out on a Sunday afternoon. I'm going to pass the mic around so everyone can say hi. This is Alex. I drove up from Los Angeles, and I'm here bringing you the whole load. Onward. Sir Chad, Black Knight of No Agenda. John, you haven't been up here yet. Get on it. This is Megan, a.k.a. Nurse Betty, or may or may not be a spook. This is Dave. Little known fact, Fang Fang really was a dude. Hi, guys. This is Karen, the contrarian. Love you guys. I just want you guys to know you're very important. This is Sir AJ, the Viscount of Idaho, and we're just having a great time here. Hi, this is Jenny from the Great Potato State. In the morning, this is Chris, a.k.a. Karsh33. How you doing? Kevin, here with my wife, Karen. Uh, great being here. This is Jason, I think for everyone, in the morning. Morning. Hey, this is Harlan. Check out your local capital. Who built that thing? This is his wife. And this is Sir Combat Rock signing off from Boise, Idaho with a great big... In the morning! Another massive, massive meetup. This is so cool to see. And we have a promo for... Uh, the Austin meetup, it's going on the road. Here's Baron Scott. Calling all New Mexico and Southern Colorado producers. Come join your no agenda Baron of the Army in Albuquerque, New Mexico at Real Bravo Brewing Company, Saturday, April 23rd from 1 to 5 p.m. RSVP at noagendameetups.com. I can't wait to <laughs> I don't know, man. I couldn't. I don't think I could hear what he was actually saying in that mix. <laughs> it seems like they're going to uh, New Mexico. That'd be great. Sir Jeffrey Tohuig is there, and here's what's happening uh, on the calendar. Just a couple of upcoming meetups. Uh, the 16th, that'll be Saturday. Resist we much. Send Cal No Agenda Monthly Meetup 2:30 at Barrel House Brewing Tap Room in Fresno, California. Central Oregon Local 17 Meetup 3:30 Pacific Mecca Grande Brewing and Tasting in Madras, Oregon. Also on Saturday, the Toronto Thaw meetup, 4 p.m., the Three Speed. That's where you want to meet for that. Uh, Bryson Gray, let's go. Brandon Free Live Music in North Idaho, 6.30 at Cruisers and Bar Grill. Fort Worth, Texas on April 20th. That's uh, Wednesday where the Western Simulation begins, 6 o'clock at Panther Island Brewing. And then a plug for May 16th, May 16th, um, that will be the Low Country Lovapalooza at the Royal American in Charleston, South Carolina. The Keeper and I will be there. So this will hopefully be uh, kind of a makeup for having to miss the Tennessee meetup. We hope that lots of people come. The No Agenda meetups, you can find them everywhere around the globe. You go to noagendameetups.com. Should there not be one near you, why don't you start one yourself? It's easy. Noagendameetups.com. Sometimes you want to go hang out with all the nights and days. You want to be where you want to be. There you go. Like a party. Okay, ISO World. 
How many you got? Uh, three, actually. I've got two. Uh, why don't you play your three first? Okay, hold on a second. I'm setting up this. Uh, yes, I have... If you love America, you throw money in its hole. <laughs> That's too long. Uh... That was exciting, though, man. I enjoyed that a lot. I think this is the one that, uh, that may make it. It was 33 everywhere. <laughs> well, that was good. I, I like, like that, that one, one, too, yeah. Okay, I got two. I got okay. Huh? Okay. Yeah. It's just simple and sweet. And then I got nothing better. We had nothing better to do. Yeah, I think 33 everywhere is best. Yeah. Did you recognize the voice in the other one? Nothing better to do? Hold on. It's probably me. We had nothing better to do. Oh, no. That's Andrew Horowitz, who's mad because I was talking about our uh, our uh, non-vacation, and I said, yeah, we had nothing better to do, so we called the Horowitzes. It came out like that, but uh, okay. Is he really mad, or is this uh, show business mad? I wonder, but people should go listen to the last DH Unplugged where he goes off the rails on this. He went off, I haven't heard it yet, he really went off the rails? Yeah, oh, I thought that's where you... No, because I saw him tweet about it. I'm like, oh, if you're tweeting about oh, it, he's no, pissed no. He off. Went, he went, he went, he was irked, and he went off the rails. And it was worth listening to if you haven't heard the last DH Unplugged. No, I refuse. Why should I listen to him be mad at me? Yeah, he's mad at you because the way he saw it is that you showed up, and it went, and the dialogue would have gone like this. So we got anything to do? Well, no. We maybe have dinner with the Horowitzes. We don't have anything better to do than that. No, we got nothing better to do. We'll go. We'll call him up and see. Maybe they can go out. He really felt uh, uh, hurt. He hurt. He felt hurt. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. Your cavalierness about having nothing because that. Okay, so that's not why I said it. When we were going to Fort Lauderdale, we knew we'd have nothing to do. No, nothing better to do. <laughs> okay, I'm just, I'm dropping Whatever. it. I'm out of the argument. I'm just telling you that he made us. And so somebody sent me the clip saying, hey, this might work because it's funny. Yeah. Uh, well. Although he did, the intonation doesn't work for the end of the show. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Jack it up. It doesn't. Just, but- if he said, we've got nothing better to do or so, anything. But uh, it, anyway, so I would say your clip is the winner. Yeah. Well, now I'm disturbed by this. That's why I saved it to the end of the show. I don't want him to be. I don't want anyone to be angry with me. Oh, I wouldn't give it a second thought. And we had we had planned this two days ahead of time. So okay, take me literally. That's fine. Yeah, there we go. That's the Adam I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's that's what you're going for every single time. You just (laughs) stirring up shit. That's all. That's what you're good at. Stir up shit, yes. Favorite guy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, here he is. Here he is. You got anything left, or can we just leave? Because now I have to call Horowitz. (laughs) Done with this shit. I've done my job. Yeah, well done. Yeah. Okay. Meanwhile, you just cancel on him on uh, on a Tuesday. It's like, ah, John canceled. You know, but me, I say something like, I'm a I'm a big douche. There we go. This will give you something to obsess about until the next show. Which no, I'm never speaking to him again. We've got some good clips. We got some Biden stuff, and uh, 
And Sunday's yeah, coming up. Fun. It's just a few days away. And, and it'll looks be like Easter. iPhone production is going to be cut to nothing. Thank goodness. And it'll be Easter. Yeah, and we're right. working on Easter Sunday. So you may not oh, hear it until Monday. Easter. Are you kidding me? Another Easter where we're actually working toiling? Yes. Yep. 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 Sadly. And we'll do a special show, dude. The Easter special, and we'll have a special donation segment. Okay. Coming up next on noagendastream.com, if you're still in the troll room. Uh, Mofax, oh, it is the pizza party episode. End of show um, mixes we have from Amducius and Toby Langford. Coming to you from the heart of the Texas Hill Country, FEMA region number six in the morning, everybody. I'm Adam Curry. And from northern Silicon Valley, where there's a big dark black rain cloud hanging overhead. I'm waiting for the wetness to come. I'm John C. Dvorak. We return on Sunday right here on No Agenda. Remember us at Dvorak.org slash N-A. Until then, adios, mofos. Just now, Dr. Zeev Cohen. Doctor, it's great to see you. I know we do have to start with a disclaimer that you obviously haven't treated Vladimir Putin. What is it that makes you um, get to this point here? What's he exhibiting? He's that put gets a you million dollar bounty on the head of Vladimir Putin. Sharing this poster on social media, stating, wanted, dead or alive, Vladimir Putin for mass murder. He simply lied direct to their faces and presented them with an ultimatum he knew they And if we accept. think of the model of someone who has psychopathic traits, then we're thinking of somebody that really sees the world in terms of power metrics, power dynamics, does not believe in rules, does not believe in conventional morality, and is really just sizing up opponents and trying to read out A well-known track record of killing his political opponents. There must be part of you that worries that you will now be a target. We've seen one after another President Putin's political opponents. They've been attacked, murdered, mysteriously fallen off their balconies or had their clothes smeared with chemical agents. This government has no qualms about killing for purely political reasons. You know, the people with psychopathic traits, they are calculating, they take their time, they plot their next move. And it seems like we're really seeing, you know, the, the maestro here is he's putting his finishing touches on a plan, you know, Europe dependent on oil and so forth. So I think that if we understand the personality we're dealing with, we're going to be a lot more confident. It's a disaster for your country because it's brought Russia all the things it doesn't want. Russia wanted recognition and respect, seats at all the global top tables. Now it's been shunned. It wanted less NATO on its borders. It's going to get much, much more. It's got a huge economic hit and it's clamped down. It's forcing the brightest young people in the country to leave in their tens of thousands. We have nothing better to do. One single benefit. Uh, You know, a a psychopath can be reckless uh, and impulsive, but on the other hand, what psychopaths love to do is test your. Oh.
Dvorak.org/slash/na. It was 33 everywhere.